Hello and welcome to Rewind Reviews, a podcast where we watch films from our youth and ponder the question, was that any good? Um, This is one of those weird times when we're watching a more recent film because we're sort of completionists. Um, I would say this film firmly sits outside of our normal timeline because it's 2013, something like that, 2014. I'd need to look it up. Yeah. Oh no, 2000, 2011 actually, the... which which puts it behind at least all about. Is it all about Steve? When was that one? Is that 2012? I think. Yeah, I think it's Crazy Stupid Love, the latest. Crazy Stupid Love is the latest. It's all about Steve is 2009. Crazy Stupid Love, 2011, same year. Well, same year. But I mean, well, it's, it's not. Nice. It's obviously yeah, but it's obviously not the. Um, you know the oldest we've done because obviously we we, we the, the the earliest one we've ever covered technically in a bonus episode, Secrets of Dumbledore 2020, 2022. But if we're not including the bonus episodes, I think twenty eleven might be the oldest we've done. Yeah, I count. Well, I I for me it's not so much bonus or not because I count you know <laughs> as much as as much as it destroyed us. I I do count you know the Harry mm-hmm. Potter season as a as a proper season. I think it's more. Uh, to be fair, I, in some ways, I think it's crazy, stupid love because that is a film chosen, not as opposed to a film that we needed to do because we were doing a franchise. Do you know what I mean? Right. Yeah, yeah, that makes so sense. So, for example, if we if we did Indiana Jones, if we hadn't done Indiana Jones last year and we did it next year, we would include Dial of Destiny because it was because it was part of that franchise. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, yeah, yeah that's right. So if we're, if we're not doing franchise ones, then I think they can. But, but yeah, anyway. Point point being, uh, we're in twenty we're twenty twenty eleven. Um, it was a simpler time, Chris. <laughs> well, I mean, it was it was literally a simpler time in terms yeah. of this movie. It is if, if nothing else, this movie is clearer. But before we do that, Dan, you so you went to I I've never seen this movie. Um, you you went to see it at the cinema. I understand. Yes, yeah, I believe so. I, it's hard to it's hard to remember exactly how this played out because if I'm being honest with you, this this film kind of. Uh, understandably so, having just recently rewatched it, you know, washed over me in a very uneventful fashion. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I remember disappointment at World's End, um, and I don't really have too specific, too many specific members of, of On Stranger Tides other than not liking it, which is you know, which is which is, is that is how simple it was, and I mean like a, a like a real disappointment of just like oh god. This is. I think I'm done with these because I then did not see Dead Men Tell No Tales. I've never seen Dead Men Tell No Tales um, or Salazar's Revenge, as it was known internationally. Um, so uh, yeah, I don't have a huge amount to say in terms of my memories of watching this, other than that I watched it, I didn't like it, and I took in so little of it that, or not took in, I re- it was it was so uninteresting to me in the moment that I didn't commit much of it to memory to the point where re-watching it this time in some elements felt like re-watching it because mm. all all i genuinely remembered it seems chris is the first act i couldn't recall anything after jack meets and sword fights uh penelope cruz's character so i i remembered the 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 the, the, the escape and him meeting the, the 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 king, and then you know being on top of those like horse drawn carriages, that that sort of little mm. chase sequence, and I remembered that there was a fake Jack Sparrow, 
that was getting a crew, and when he met them, it was Penelope Cruz in disguise. I remembered all of that. That that had gone in and stayed. Everything else must have just washed over me because it, it got to that point in the movie, and I genuinely like was like, I don't know what happens next. <laughs> I have literally no memory now of what goes on, and like a couple of moments came vaguely back to me as I was watching. But no, and that really does go to some way to saying how I originally reacted to this film, which is that it was, it, it, it clearly did not engage me very well because, you know, by the end of the first act, as we're heading into the adventure itself, I was tuned out, I think, to some degree. Um, and this is your first time watching it, so I'm curious then, what, what, what was your experience? Because that was my experience first time watching it. Your first time watching it was presumably in the last within the last twenty four hours. How did you find the film on your first watch? My uh, my first time watching it, Dan. I started watching this movie at half eleven last night. <laughs> like I am mm. tired. Um, I look. There are some elements of it that I I did enjoy. Um, I think there's I think there's some great visuals. I think there's a sequence which arguably nails Captain Jack in a way in better than I've seen any other movie do, mm-hmm. um, uh, which we'll talk about. Um, uh, but I, it, also, a lot of it was boring. <laughs> like a lot of it, a lot of it was really quite dull. <laughs> um, uh, so I, I was bored for a lot of it. And I think the problem is the to kind of give you because this is yeah my my reaction, mm-hmm. um, and I guess it, it, we're beginning to get into reviews and also fundamentally uh, it's it's always weird with a with a kind of when we do a franchise because a recommend or not recommend becomes very you know if, if you watch the others <laughs> yeah no you might as well because you could if you watch this in the right scenario. It's an all right summer movie to put on. It's an all right, you know, blockbuster. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's fine. Um, so there's that for one. Um, but two, it it just it's the lack of care in 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 as in the characters. I don't I don't care about anyone in this movie. <laughs> like I don't, and it makes you not care about. What's happening? Because because the movie in part doesn't really care. The movie has a piece of MacGuffin that, by their own admission, none of the characters really even want. Like, they've all got these really cool. Like you know, the British want it because the Spanish want it. The Spanish want it because they want uh, proper full bone spoilers. By the way, from here on out, um, the Spanish want it because they want to destroy it. Jack did want it at the end of the last movie, but is now sort of along for the ride and just keeps saying, "I don't particularly want it." Yep. Which, um, which they, which they explain done... in a brilliant way, though. I will we'll come back to that. But I think there's something very genius about what they've done with Jack in this. But yeah, carry on. Sorry. Barbosa, Barbosa doesn't want it at all. He's he's there, and and I can't. I'm I'm looking forward to discussing Barbosa because I want you, I. I don't know if it's because I was watching it late at night, but I haven't in my in my thinking about it as I went to bed and thinking about it this morning. I haven't worked out why Barbosa why by why Barbosa doesn't feel quite right, and I would really like you to tell me. Um, <laughs> and so, but he he doesn't want it. He doesn't want it at all. He just wants to get Blackbeard, and Blackbeard doesn't. Well, Blackbeard's after it, but he's more his daughter's after it. 
for him. Um, the the ending twist, uh, just in case there is anyone hanging on, uh, the ending twist. Uh, well, it's not a twist; you can see it coming. But I liked that. I thought that was that was good. The love story is is so paper thin; it's unbelievable. Like yes, hundred percent. It's the crazy. Love, the, you, you snip uh, the you slip, snip the love story. Get rid of that. that yeah, just doesn't just doesn't need to be there. So there's just a lot of like even you know even the mermaids, which are wicked, is like. <laughs> It's fucking convoluted in a way. It's like, when did who discovered this? Who was like, were they just randomly like, oh, let's, uh, you know what we should do? Let's pop a mermaid's tear in that cup. I'm like, oh, okay, fine. Mm, that's not working. Well, you know what? Maybe the mermaid's tear isn't fresh enough. Like, it's uh, just MacGuffin it... for the sake of MacGuffin. Like, is that not, well, uh, why does that, that not, exist? Uh, yeah, but is that not like a... Ah, legend tells that that's what you have to do to make it work. It's not a. I don't think anyone was. I don't think somebody found the fountain of youth and was like, right, I've got a list of objects we can try to put in this to make it work. We're going to start all the way with just seawater, and we're going to work our way down to through all all the liquids. Um, it's a big list, so get on it, guys. We're going to get everything in here. We're going to give it. We try with a bit of coffee dipped in. Um. Boss, yeah. The last thing on this list is Mermaid's Tear. Yeah, that's we're not going to find that. So I'll put it right at the bottom of the list. We'll we'll try that last. <laughs> um, I suspect I suspect that's not <laughs> quite how it went. I, I, I've got to imagine it's, there's like at some point someone found a scroll with instructions, you know, some ancient information, and then that's just been passed down verbally so people who know about it yeah, know that's the, how it works. But the I problem assume. is the. the the, the problem is, um, you know what? I'm all right with mermaid, mermaid's tear because, yeah. like you say, fine, ancient mythical stuff. The problem sure. is, oh no, it needs to be fresh mermaid's tear. Well, why? So we can keep the mermaid around for the plot. Like, do you know what I yes. mean? Like, yeah, why yeah. is it mermaids? So we can do mermaids. What on our pirate bucket list have we not done? We've not done Blackbeard and we've not done mermaids. All right, whack them in. <laughs> like, we've not done ship in a boat, ship in a bottle. Don't do that. It's weird. Tiny monkey. It's bizarre. Um, like, you know, and I just think there's, it's, but it, but it is, like I say, there's there's a particular sequence that I really enjoyed. It, it it is it is harmless fun for a lot of it, and whilst it is convoluted, it is not difficult to follow. <laughs> Especially you know, bearing in mind I was watching it at fucking you know one in the morning, I it was not difficult to follow, and it was less. It did feel like they were trying to take on board some of the lessons of the criticisms of the second two movies. Um, and I could see why someone would go, you know what? I don't really like all the mythology crap and I don't like having to, I don't like having to, you know, especially we talked about it when we reviewed them. Dead Man's Chase and At World's End. You need to pay attention to like every line of dialogue because every line of dialogue is expositional. So I can see someone, whilst I personally didn't, um, for some of the reasons we talked about, just talked about. I can see why. If someone were to say to me, this is my second favourite Pirates movie after the first one, I'd be like, yeah, that makes sense. Like, you know, if you've got no particular love for Will or Elizabeth and you don't like the heavy, heavy lore of two and three or the tone of three, like coming off the back of three, this is a much lighter tone. Um, I don't think it's got the visual spectacle, uh, especially for what was at the time, as far as I understand, the most expensive movie ever made. Um, I think it's especially not got the visual spectacle. Um, and no, also, this one was cheaper than the previous one. Oh, was it? Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, also, fucking, 
it's also, and this is a real kind of specific nitpick, and sorry, I've ranted about a bunch of things, Dan, apologies. Um, it's This is that fucking period of time, isn't it, Dan? This is the this is this is from that period of time where you watch a movie now and you go oh and I, I and I'll be honest well I've not checked this Dan I might be wrong in what I'm about to say I might be wrong I've not checked you can tell me if I'm wrong no doubt but I'm assuming Dan that this movie was released in 3D because it's from that time where there's just swords <laughs> sticking out of doors at the screen. <laughs> <laughs> like with that sense of oh this is this is from that 3D phase where where things were like deliberately poking out or whatever and like coming at the audience and coming at the coming at the camera basically. Would you? <laughs> is would, that, would, am I wrong? Would you like the answer? Would you like the answer to that question, Chris? Yeah, I'd love okay, the answer. Let me let me let me let me cue this up. One second. One very quick second. You ready? Because we're gonna do yeah. it. We're gonna do the answer. I don't know how long this drum roll goes on for, Chris. Um, I should have checked that before I rolled it. This film was indeed released in 3D. There you go. It didn't go, it didn't there. finish. It just kept, went on. I, I glanced at the file I'd started, Chris, and saw it was 52 seconds long, and I was already 12 seconds in and bored. Oh, don't need that. So I didn't wait until the yeah, end. Does that end, that. A, does that end on a, does that end on a, though? Wait a second. Oh, no, it just sort of peters out fine you know what's funny you know on youtube they show you where the most listened to or watched parts of a video are now you can see where people have clicked to you can this video is amazing it's a drum roll it's 52 seconds long it's too long you can watch at the sort of five six second mark it start tapering off and then picking right back up at the end or people want to see if it ends on a <laughs> it's great I've, anyway I've, yes this film was I've, released I've just just to just because just in case anyone's screaming it I've just checked. According to Wikipedia, at least, this movie was more expensive than At World's End and was at the time no. the most expensive movie ever made. Incorrect. Okay. Wikipedia's wrong then, but that's that's what that's what I was going from. Uh, well, so World's End was made for three hundred million. Um, a big part of the deal for making this movie was two hundred and fifty. Oh, okay, fine. Yeah, what's Wikipedia say? <laughs> Uh, Wikipedia says its uh, budget was a three seven three three seven eight net and four ten gross budget, um, and it's yeah the three seven net puts it above um, at World's End, which was I'm off it now, but three two or something. What? That, none of those numbers yeah. make sense at all. That's no. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It just says for, for following inflated production costs, which ballooned the net budget to three seven nine million, the film was the most expensive ever made at the time of release. That's, that's what it says. No, that's no. I'm on Box Office Mojo. That's uh, no. That's not. That's not the case. Um, strange. Um, I think the problem with Wikipedia is like if if there's an article where someone tries to like um, guesstimate how much a movie costs, and they'll, they'll yeah. Budget four hundred million. Yeah, no, that's that's not accurate. Um, I mean, one of the deals with this movie was very specifically, and this will be covered in the trip, that they made it for less than the previous one. Um, so they did, right. um, yeah. Uh, and I would definitely trust Box Office Mojo's verified sources over Wikipedia. Um, yeah. Um, so yeah, it's um, yeah. So I mean, I don't know. Do I do I get into how I'm feeling about it now? On a rewatch, is that where we is that where we go next? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I've ranted. You, you, you go, go ahead. Yeah, um, I, I do think there's a good case to be made for this film being better than World's End. Um, 
I was pleasantly surprised on a rewatch. I think there's a lot of really good ideas here. I think the big problem is they're not communicated in the way that they should be because we don't have Gore Verbinski. I think his energy and imagination and the way he cuts action, the way he engages you in a scene with the, with the filmmaking is really the biggest difference between this and the previous movie. These are the same two writers as the previous three movies. And when you look at it on paper, all the stuff that works about those is technically here. The sharp dialogue, um, the, like, the, 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 all the interesting sort of ideas, the, the character work for Jack, which I think is absolutely maintained its consistency here to a, to a, to a scary degree. Because at the beginning of this movie, Jack is not looking for the Fountain of Youth anymore, right? He's just getting dragged into this story, as Chris pointed out. And I, I was thinking in the opening of the movie, why? Why is that? Why is that? Why wouldn't he just be still chasing after the thing he was chasing after the previous movie? What the movie reveals to us later on is this incredible idea that Jack didn't realize until he was looking into it how it worked. Once he was trying to find it, or maybe even had already found it, because there's an implication later in the movie that he's been to the Fountain of Youth before. Um, or that he'd at least tried to get, he'd gone pretty close, because throughout the rest of the movie, he seems to know exactly where they're going. Um, there's this incredible realization that to use it, you have to take life from another person. And the one thing that's been consistent about Jack Sparrow since movie one is that's where he always draws a line. And I love that this movie actually demonstrates the true villain is Blackbeard because he's the only one evil enough to actually be willing to take someone's life for his own eternal youth. Yeah. Because everyone else, as Chris pointed out, are in it for different reasons. Interesting reasons, I think. I, I love I love the reveal that the Spanish are just there to destroy it because it's blasphemy to them because that's a really great sort of double bluff because the whole, the whole way through the movie, you assume they're looking for it to abuse. Um, the English want it because they don't, they don't want to get outdone by the Spanish. They certainly, the idea of, a, of you know, the Spanish leadership having the ability to live forever, you know, while he's only going to get older and frailer, like that kind of arrogance of the British, like is, is, is a really fun idea for why they're involved. Barbosa's personal vendetta against Blackbeard is really is a really great way to pull Barbosa into it. That makes sense because he took the pearl off, and we know how much Barbosa loves the pearl. The idea that he was defeated, a man that arrogant and that cocky and that sure sure of himself, beaten by another pirate, absolutely not. I, I, I you know, I, I, and and his 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 desire for revenge. Is 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 a really smart way to do it. Penelope Cruz's character—it's a devotion to her father, which is you know misguided, sure, but there, you know, everyone's reasons for being on this journey make perfect sense, and I kind of actually love that only Blackbeard is the one that actually wants the Fountain of Youth because no one else in this movie is evil enough to gain eternal life at the or, or life at the cost of other of others. I. I love that so much. I think that's really good. And that's why the ending works so well. That Even though you do see it coming, the switched cups, obvious, a mile away. No one thought... I don't think there's anyone watched this movie and not realized. And for those who don't remember the movie, the way the movie ends, because the whole time of the movie, you know, Blackbeard's been mistreating his daughter. Um, you know, the thing with the guns earlier in the movie where she's like, you did know which guns had bullets in them, right? And he's like, yeah, 
sure. <laughs> and you know he had no idea. Therefore, because he basically threatened Jack by threatening her because he figured out Jack cared for her. Um, and she was like, that was like a ploy, right? You knew which guns had bullets in it. And, and it was pretty clear he didn't and didn't care. Um, Jack observes his flippant behavior towards her and uses it against him in the end of the movie when he lets them use the Fountain of Youth cups but switches them round knowing full well that Blackbeard will take the one that gives life for himself. Which, which is great. And, 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 and the audience can predict it, but it's still great. Like, right. you know, you knowing how he's... Because it's such a classic Jack... You know, I, I think the best use of Jack, and it, it ties into the other scene I really like of him, but the, the best use of Jack is when he is seemingly playing the fool, but it's actually, you know, it's actually very, very clever. And yeah. you, you, you know, you know what he's doing. So you get the joy of of seeing, you know, seeing it play out. You get the joy that, you know, Jack is getting. Um, I really, I did really, really like that. I thought the very end was a bit like trapping her on the island was a bit weird. But we'll yeah, I didn't, I didn't yeah. care. I didn't I, care for that either, but yeah, yeah. I, I agree with you. I thought the, um, the, the cup stuff was fantastic. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I think so. I, I think, um, I, so yeah, I think for me, like, what this movie is missing and the reason i don't find it as engaging and the reason why i think you know a person could rightly describe it as being a bit boring is i just think it's missing that filmmaking spark you know it's really interesting because we you know we said at the end of the last episode you know what could these writers do with a bit of time because there's so many good ideas in world's end but they clearly didn't have the time to smooth out the script you know, work out some of those little kinks through redrafts. Therefore, the final movie is a bit, a bit of a mess. Um, so then you're on a you're in a weird situation, then, aren't you? Of like, oh, interesting. Sorry, I, I, it's funny. I'm, I'm just, sorry. I, I for some reason I because the I've got the Wikipedia up on a separate. On a, on a separate tab with my IMDb, the box office mojo, and then my notes. Um, as I was just flicking through there aimlessly, because I tend to do that, don't have information sort of scrolling by while I'm talking, I did spot there's a Wikipedia of links to a Forbes article about the budget. So that that information it looks like comes from Forbes, but how verified is it? You know about the about the the the, the information. Oh, I yeah, can't, I yeah, can't, yeah, re- I can't read it because I don't. I have an ad blocker on, and I refuse to remove it for Forbes's sake. So, <laughs> yeah, it's on others as well. Like I think it was on. I can't remember, but it's 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 definitely been reported in other places. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know enough about it to be too um, yeah, forthright yeah. on it. Yeah, you know, I, it's just that I know Box Office Mojo are really careful about like they tend to not use reported like figures unless they can verify them. They're they're usually quite good on the on the budgets. Um, but yeah. Anyway, um, I that's glancing at that. I shouldn't be scrolling because that's completely. This is what happens when you're an ADHD person. Uh, I think you just you're scrolling around, just like 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 information is passing by. Then something will take you away. That'll be what you thought. What we we were talking about? Uh, oh, the previous movie, the writers. So yeah. So I think you know the writers, the you know work on the previous movie. We I, I suggested it was maybe not their fault. And I think looking at this, I think that kind of backs that up as a as a thought because. I think the script for this 
is perfectly fine. I think this is a good script. I think you give this script to Gore Verbinski and he goes, right, let's jazz up a couple of the action scenes. I'm going to find some interesting visuals to stick in here. I'm going to sort of, you know, because it's clear he was very involved in the creative process in the previous movies, right? And, you know, there are certain scenes and sequences you can imagine that he, because there was a lot of talk of the film feeling, having a fairly improvised feel in the previous one where, you know, as they were shooting, he was coming up with ideas for visuals and scenes and iconography to put into the movie, right? Whether they were in the script or not. So I think you get this script, which is clear and concise, and the character arcs all work. Whether you like them or not, are different. You can we can have that debate. And obviously, one of them is so thin it blows over in the wind, being the love story, which is just you know absolutely needless. We'll we'll get to that. But in terms of the actual like pirates action, you know the actual thrust of this movie, I really like what they've done with all this. I think Fountain of Youth played this way to reinforce the character of Jack, you know, um, to, to have another take on Barbosa. And I do, I can tell you why. I don't know why you necessarily felt Barbosa wrong, but I think the big difference is this is a Barbosa with his tail between his legs, which is, you know, neutered, you know, working for the British subservient, which is like, just feels like Barbosa would never, ever do that. But as the movie goes on and you learn he lost his ship, he lost his crew, and this is all just for revenge... You start to realize, I, I think by the end of this movie, Barbosa feels like Barbosa again. And I think that, you know, when he's using the, the poison sword to get the edge yeah. on the Blackbeard. Yeah, and that's, that's quite, a, that's, a, that's a good moment where it's sort of, um, you know, where he, he points the sword and the ship races off and stuff. I did, yeah, yeah, I yeah. Did, I did like that. I think his arc is that. It, his arc is he's been defeated, he's neutered, he's, he's you know, tail between his legs. His journey is coming, is, I'm going to be get back to being, you know, the fearsome pirate Barbosa. And by the end of the movie, he's running Blackbeard's ship. You know, it's, 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 a, it's a good arc for him. I like it. But go on, what are you going to say, sorry? Yeah, I, I, and I think I like that they didn't, you know, they didn't make him and Jack the villains and fighting with each other for the sake of it. And I think one of the, one of the fun, one of the most fun scenes in the movies are the scenes where they're together. Actually, I think they have a good dynamic, um, you know, and that scene where they're trying to find the cups and the scene then Mm -hmm. when they're, um, when they're uh, captured and there's some real gravity defying shit with Jack. Um, (laughs) And, and it's weird that no one's noticing him climb that tree, but you know, the other movies had the last two movies had that too. Like I don't particularly begrudge that. Like, you know, it's that classic, you know, in the first Bruce, Will- in the first Die Hard, Bruce Willis wasn't a superhero. He is by the fourth movie. Like I, yeah. I you know, I, I begrudge that less than some might. And I equally, though, know, I get it if that's a real issue for some people. Yeah. But I think um, in terms of the Barbosa and Jack of it all, I think some of the most fun scenes of the movie are when they're together. Agreed. Yeah. So what? So I think if I'm doing sort of an overall thought before we get into the more like scene by scene or storyline by storyline nitty gritty, I think general thoughts for me, it's a shame basically this. The, the, the Gore Verbinski didn't come back or some other director because look I, and I don't want to sound like I'm throwing shade over at um Disney's uh Disney's favorite weapon boy <laughs> and then go say something deeply offensive to the poor guy um oh god I've even forgotten his name Rob something Ugh. he's like basically the guy Disney get in when they when they don't want <laughs> when this oh my god listen literally there's no polite way to say this he's the guy Disney get in when they want someone to say yes <laughs> That's basically, I think his name is Rob Marshall. And I look, I have no problem in saying that he is 
a jobbing director, right? He comes in and he does his work. And he does fine work. It's passable work. But his job is to come in and, and get it made physically. And his films all have this same problem of having absolutely no voice whatsoever right i i i do and again there's just no way to say this kindly sadly it's all gonna sound like absolute shade but he is just not that seemingly in my opinion creative he just gets the movie made um and and and, and like you hand him a script he makes it in the blandest possible way just straight down the middle stamp the shots are really not very dynamic Though, you know, everything just feels drawn out. He clearly didn't deviate from the script much. And I feel like that is something that's missing in the tone of this film. The previous films have that chaos feeling, that that improvis- improvisational feeling. And I'm not necessarily even talking about, like, in the third one, where it's the bad kind of chaos because the script doesn't really doesn't quite track in places. Even the first two, the, the two that I, you know, re- reviewed favorably on here have a vibe of like there's a there's a good script at the core of this but then Gore Verbinski sort of like had the creative freedom to do what he wanted whereas it feels like Disney hired Rob Marshall to just be like get that on screen please and he got that script on screen exactly as it was in the most practical way he could um which is a shame but I, I feel like this franchise deserves better but I will say looking at his just looked him up and seen his filmography and I think you can you can i don't think this outweighs everything you've just said but i think you can feel the influence in moments of this film of of a director that's got experience in musicals some of the fight sequences especially the sword fighting it is it is choreographed almost like a dance and and look that might not be that might not be what you want from a pirates movie like and it's not really what i want from a pirates movie i want that sort of scrappy fighting you know like for, for to think of a random example dan maybe maybe will and jack in the first movie when they're in the blacksmith's office you know something like that but i think you can there is a bit of when it comes to some of the choreography i think there is a bit of a stamp of him on but the, but, but where the, the choreography is done some... by the stunt coordinator and the cor- like the, those guys the, the, the director is is p- picking where the camera's going and those fights are shot very simply just straight mm. on usually side on like a video game <laughs> like it's it's just shot in such an unimaginative way <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I look. I'm not. I'm not disagreeing with you. But for me, for me personally, the bigger problem is 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 the script. Is you know, there's an entire there's a t- an entire love story we just don't give a shit about. <laughs> like, yeah, know. yeah, yeah. I, that that I agree with. But I, can you? But is there anything else? Like of the stuff we've talked about, of the main thrust of the movie, where are the where are the problems coming from the script? Other than the love story, which I agree with. Um, what what's what um, else I is just the script go, getting I, wrong? Uh, there's no, I don't think there's uh, there's a hero figure. I think the, the the so I think it's hard to care about anything when you're so when everyone apart from maybe Barbosa and Jack to some degree, but you know you don't. I don't think we're made to care about anything that's happening in the in the okay. film. Do you, would you say ending... would you who would you say the hero figure was in the previous two movies? Well, Will and Elizabeth. Sorry, are three. Elizabeth in the 
Sorry, I corrected myself to three. <laughs> I said two. There's <laughs> yeah. three previous movies. Sorry. I think in the last film it was Elizabeth. I think, and don't get me, but again, I but also like I just because just because something was also an issue in the other movies doesn't mean it's it's not a valid issue in this movie. Like I think you could make an argument that Elizabeth was the hero figure. Yeah, but, I think but they, we, as we, I, when we reviewed the previous I, two movies, we 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 both said very clearly like where we when we thought the issues were the the the, the, the scripts and when they weren't. I think like we you know I I, I the scripts for the second two movies which were obviously rushed into production the issues we found were all the sorts of issues that usually get ironed out in like redrafting whereas you know this one that didn't happen and i'm just sort of curious because like i i thought this one was was basically like the ideal turnover of that storytelling and i, and I also think not caring about the characters and not caring about what's happening in front of you is an engagement problem and i think the engagement issue here personally it comes down more to the directing because like on paper there isn't much wrong with this script other than that love story really in terms of just making it a simple fun pirate romp like all the jokes are still there all of the interesting scenarios are still there and there's not there's nothing there's nothing in this in the in on the on the page here that wasn't in the previous ones which we we reviewed much more favorably or at least you know the, the first two particularly I think for me, for me, and like I say, I'm not, I'm not necessarily disagreeing with it. I'm just saying for me personally, like the script, I, I don't think it's as funny. For example, I don't think it's, it's as funny as the, as the other movies. There's not, I can't particularly tell you a, a kind of standout joke for me, and that could be, you know, I, you know, maybe that's just where I watched it late. I don't know. I hold my hands up to that. Do you? Um, do I you... didn't love particularly that. I just want to ask about that point because one thing I will say is I, I agree with that point. I do agree with that point. But I think that if I was to guess, and again, you know, you, you correct me if you think I'm wrong, but I, I have a feeling that a lot of the jokes that were in the previous movies were improvised. There was, if you remember going back to the Triv for like the first couple of movies, there were tons of this line was improvised, this moment was improvised. Like Orlando Bloom improvised his little Jack impression in the first one. A bunch of like the lines were. I think Gorbinski had a real thing of like letting them go on the set as well and letting them find stuff as they went. And I wonder if a lot of them, when, I, when I'm thinking back to that trivia, a lot of those were about little gags. So I'm wondering if the scripts for the previous movies were equally, you know, just in the middle on jokes. And a lot of it was found, you know, through the filmmaking process. But again, that would come back to the lack of... of Vaminsky that more so than the script on that point particularly yeah uh, uh, for me uh, yeah fine uh, for you uh, like I say for me my instinct would be it's it's the script the ending you know with leaving her on the island and stuff like that there's just for me there's a bunch of stuff where I'm like I don't know for sure because you know even that last point is to some degree speculation I don't know for sure you know based in a huge amount of trivia about improvisation on set for all three films and specifically yeah, improvisation I, around around jokes. Yeah, but again, for whether whether the jokes were improvised or came from the script in the last few movies doesn't necessarily affect my opinion on on the script of this movie. Um, so yeah, that was just. Uh, but I, I I certainly think it's less in terms of the direction. Um, it is absolutely less. I feel like I overuse this word a lot, but it's less altered than than the the previous three movies. I, you know, I, I don't hey, think I would never in a million years be able to spot a Rob Marshall movie. He has absolutely no voice or no style of his own. 
happy. It's it's, yeah, it's, it's so vanilla. It's it might as well not exist. It's really bad. Yeah, and like 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 I was about to say that whether you whether you like or dislike uh, At World's End and the choices it made, it's got an incredibly clear direction. It's got an incredible. You know, he went mm. into that movie wanting to make a you know a a darker movie, and you know some people a lot of people don't like the intro with the hanging and all that sort of stuff, but he. He he committed to his decisions and his vision for those for those three movies in in a way that I I don't think is present in this movie. So you know, again, I'm not I'm not disagreeing, but I uh, yeah, I think there are for me there are there are there are a bunch of problems. Um, well, let's yeah. let's let's get into them then. So what else? What else? Because obviously, I was I was responding to your your comedy point while it was sort of fresh in my 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 brain. But let's let's talk about some of the other stuff there that you weren't you you, you didn't think worked with the script because because yeah, obviously so I, I've because be... I've covered the like the stuff that I thought was good about it. We'll get the other we'll get the other side. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> the, the 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 Jack and what's her name? What's Penelope Cruz's character's name? Uh, that is a great question that I should absolutely have the answer to. She is Angelica. The Jack a lot of the Jack and Angelica stuff doesn't work for me. We don't we don't need the scene of. I don't. We talked about it before. I think Jack uh, should, to some degree, be a sporting character. Scenes like you know, I I might have feelings. Like who gives a shit? Like I don't. I don't particularly care about Jack having feelings. I also think if you're going to go down a route of does Jack have feelings, abandoning her on the island, it's a nice callback to sort of you know the situation he was put in. Also, also with like you've got someone who you've literally just made. Um, you know, she's just been given the power of the fountain of youth. And even without that power of the fountain of youth, I don't understand, given that when, given her introduction scene is a big kick-ass fight between the two of them, given that she has been shown to be many times a pirate that can handle herself, I don't even know why she's submitting to that. Like, why is she not fighting Jack? Why is she not trying to knock him out and steal the boat? It's so weird, her, like, attitude of, like, well, I guess, you know, you want to abandon me on this island, so I guess I'm stuck on this island then. Like, it doesn't make Mm. any sense, I think, for the character, nor for the... they. It's like, I think, the Jack and her plot... They, the the script is trying to have its cake and eat it throughout, and it doesn't actually know what the what the stance is and stuff. Um, and there's you know there's yeah. a few areas there that would be rich to explore that that aren't. And that last scene for me of it just makes no sense. Yeah, the hundred percent. I'm on with you on the last scene. The last scene is is is. General. I I think they're just trying to be like it's like fun and coy. And he's oh he's left her on an island. You can't trust Jack because he'll always. You know, he'll always screw you over in the end. You know, uh, you know, with the usual rules of his morality applying. You know, he'll if he, if he, if it's easier for him just to dump you on an island, blah blah blah. But they, they the, the one thing I will say that give the script give the script just a little credit on that one is they do clearly make it seem like he knows she's getting off that island. Like he, he you know, he makes it very clear. There's trade routes mm. all the time. She'll be fine. They, they kind of play it as a jokey, like this is my way of getting away from you. Like I've now got a head start. Is kind of how they play it. But then which what which that. Go on, but what that does to what that does to me is that's the that's the script that's the the makers uh, hey yeah. you know but I, but it I, might but be, I, uh, it might be our power this this it, doesn't this doesn't change my point from earlier because i've always agreed with you that this scene doesn't work so i just want to yeah yeah i'm just yeah but it's it's not it's not a debate i'm answering your question what what did i think was bad about the script um the it's not a competition the um 
I think that that for me is the movie, and it might as as I was about to say, it might be our boy Rob. It might be our boy Robbie um, making this decision. It feels like the script, the creators of the movie, going, "Ah, oh, she might be popular, she might not be. We don't want to. <laughs> yeah, maybe. We don't want to definitely. <laughs> yeah. We don't want to definitely end up with this these two characters together, even though we could just undo that at the next. You know, I mean, Pirates has got a history, guys, of undoing shit from the movie at the end of the movie before. No. Like it feels like they want the option of using her again, but yes. aren't quite sure. So let's yeah, just yeah. pop her on an island. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wait. But I, I would like to. I, I, I must. I, I must say as well that I do disagree with the with the with the notion that it that that. The, the the script doesn't I, I the script doesn't get you invested in them throughout the movie i actually thought it was a really interesting choice to have jack sort of in that weird position where he's refusing to admit that there's a person he actually has feelings for because that would he he sees that as him being weak so he refers to it as stirrings and he gets called out by gibbs gibbs is like you mean feelings no not quite as far as feelings no no just stirrings which i really liked and i thought that was a really interesting way to play it with jack the idea that he's so self-obsessed he couldn't even not only would he not let himself be drawn in by a, a human being like that because that's a weakness to Jack, but also this idea that like, like he he won't even let the word be, he won't even let it be spoken out loud, <laughs> um, and the idea that he's almost it's almost this intru- and and admittedly I don't think the script does enough to lay into this because I, I I I will say here that like there's any there's definitely more depth that could have been explored. I think what they did for, worked well enough for me, but there's definitely a um. Uh, a, a hole you could stick your head in and sort of explore a whole other area of this story which is this notion that like maybe the way the reason jack is always screwing over all the people that he cares about the most is because he's he's, he's self-sabotaging to some degree because he's not letting himself he doesn't see himself as being worthy of 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 love affection friends so he always sort of tries to undo it ultimately you know because because there's this idea here that that like he got close to her and then he dipped. He just bailed, which is the movie does tackle and and very very much makes that clear. The bit the the area that the script could have, if it had found the time, plumb into a bit further, which would have been which would have been good and would have been interesting. And I think is maybe what you were maybe yearning for when you were, when you were watching it is this this notion of like, well, what does that tell us about Jack in terms of? It, 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 are we confirming that theory then that idea that he's self-sabotaging because he, he you know because he, he's, he's scared mm. to let anyone get close which to be fair to be fair is a reasonably cliched notion there's a lot of movies and tv shows that have done that story of a character that doesn't let others get close um you know it's usually these kind of like uh, anti-hero types that end up in that situation you know you, you know house um, i'm trying to think of other examples like my brain is turned off right now it's too early in the morning um, for those who was wondering, we're recording this. We started recording this at like seven a.m. It's way too early to be having this conversation. Uh, <laughs> that's that's the truth of it. Um, but like, yeah, so like, that is very. So there's definitely um, more to explore. But I I do think it did enough to to invest me in in their relationship, or at least in as much as what it told me about Jack. Um, but I think I don't think because I, I don't Jack think the movie Jack- wants me to want them to be together. So no, the, that's the that's so the, the so the, the reason I'm not invested the in that. If I, the reason I'm not yeah, invested in the, that notion is because I don't think the movie wants me to be invested in that. I do think the movie wants me to be invested in what their relationship is to each other because to Jack, she's a clean example of his problem of getting away from people and never giving them a chance to be let in. And for her, Jack represents 
the counterpoint to Blackbeard, and that's someone who cares enough about her to not want her to die. <laughs> which is what, and I think maybe another area in which maybe the script misses the mark is the idea that at the end of the movie, she never outright seemingly learns the lesson. We, we, so we, no, well, her, her and her. I don't think the movie. I don't think the script also does enough. I don't think the script does enough with her character in general, in the sense of like. You know that that sacrifice at the end. You know what is in her head the sacrifice to save her father. He was literally playing a game earlier in the movie, which could have ended with her getting shot in the face there and then. And you can make an argument of yeah, but you know he's been he's been controlling her all her life, and and she you know she's she's a victim and and has become you know acclimatized to this and um and kind of can't can't help but this this dedication because of how he's manipulated her but i don't think that's in the movie like i, I think you've got to add a lot to that i think no the moment after that exact game you were just referring to where she questions whether he knew which guns had bullets and not i think demonstrates that's that's i mean that's it's present you could you well, could you could debate the, like, whether that's that enough happened, so. but it's not not there I I, I, I would say. I'd forgotten that happened. Yeah, yeah. So there's yeah because there's that moment because it's 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 quite it's one of my favorite moments in the movie because I think it really illuminates her like situation with him, you know because she's it what it shows there is her willingness to trust him in obvious the obvious evidence to the contrary like we know Jack knows Blackbeard knows we all know he was absolutely willing to kill her in that moment right but she's so. You know, whether it's rose-tinted glasses, whatever it is, she's so desperate to believe that someone cares about her, which is why it hurt her so much when Jack abandoned her earlier on, you know, in their lives. You know, which is why she's so bitter towards Jack. But I think this idea that she's so, so desperate for that, she's willing to believe him when he basically goes, of course I knew which guns had the bullets. You know, in a tone very much suggesting <laughs> he doesn't. And, and that's no shade on Ian McShane, who does a great job as Blackbeard here. Um, I, I, I Ian really... McShane's uh, great. Ian McShane's great. Yeah, yeah, he's great. I, 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 uh, and again, this might, you know, this is, maybe we're just talking matters of, you know, uh, you know, matters of degrees. Um, because while I, because uh, while I'm willing to say quite happily, I do think the movie does just enough. Uh, the word, the key word there is just. I, I, I do sort of, especially now we're analysing it in more detail. I can see how actually that is really only one moment, one small moment in the film uh, that does put it there, and it was enough for me. But what I'm realising now is maybe what the problem here isn't that it doesn't do that stuff, but it's just it's not reinforced enough maybe is the issue yeah um, I, think, I, I think that's inherent across the whole movie and the and the whole script like the, for example jack jack is jack is quite literally we have uh, uh someone who is is arguably being presented as our hero um and they are quite literally dragged into the adventure and then throughout the movie you sort of have these lines of acknowledgement of that but not and obviously obviously it's it's all over and regardless of whether you know you think it's the only problem or or one of a few problems the issue with the love story of mermaid and and missionary i I can't remember their actual name which is you know inherent to the problem is a huge issue on the movie to have to it's so as a fan of love 
to have and it's exactly what you're describing there it's like oh well we need to show these two people are in love all right well we'll have them look at each other sweetly and and say they're in love we need to show that he's going to protect her all right in one scene he'll carry her and he'll encourage them not to kill her like it's not it's not enough like that you know as you've acknowledged that love story is fucking yeah but i I actually i'll be honest i do slightly disagree with your characterization of it because i actually think they do too many scenes of it that just don't do anything beyond he wants to protect her i there are it's not just one scene where he carries her there are tons of scenes tons like an extortionate amount of scenes dedicated to him being like don't hurt the mermaid (laughs) right but it's just never goes deeper than that that's the issue it's not that there's not enough of them it's that none of them do anything beyond that surface level idea uh, and, and like i said to you at the beginning this is the, the plot that i 100 percent i'm like bringing the ban hammer down on in terms of like criticizing this script because it's absolutely fucking atrocious the worst part of the movie by a mile and i think the real problem there is just simply the depth of it it's like yeah What's the what's his character? Oh, well, he loves her. What's her character? She seems to love him. Okay, also, why is that? Because he end, protects her. Okay, I guess. Is she, is she saving him? Is she got some mermaid medication down there? Is she making him a merman? I guess that's my interpretation of it. But not yeah. only it's so yeah. it's open ended too. Only yeah. Have you waste- not only have you wasted our time with this bullshit yeah. and had her also inexplicably give the cups to Jack for no fucking reason. Like, not only because, you know, they, we've got a character there. Like, how okay. do we get the cups back I, to I, him? I do. No, I, I, like, I like that because I, I, what I think the movie did do, which is present in the script, is there's a moment early on before religious guy philip the missionary guy whatever has saved her a bunch of times where she indicates that she trusts him and he's kind of like why and she kind of indicates she can tell the difference between a good person and a bad person like mermaid magic right so at the end of the movie when she gives those cups to jack i think that's actually a really clever choice because jack's the person she trusts with her magic mermaid sense of morality and ability to detect the goodness in people, the way she picked it up in in, in Philip. The idea that she gives it to Jack actually solidifies Jack's position in this story and actually their wider understanding of Jack as a character, as a, as a series of movies. Mm-hmm. That he's ultimately... Jack's a good person, and I and I, and and, yeah. and and I and I actually really like that element of it. As, as random as it feels in the moment, the second I thought about it, I went, "Nope, they set that up. That is literally a setup and payoff um, for for her." But I, this is exactly the problem with the love story. The love story gets in the way of the function of those two characters because I think when you're writing yeah. this script and you create Philip, Philip is supposed to be anti-Blackbeard, right? He is supposed to be the yardstick in which you're measuring Blackbeard against. The Right early on in the movie, when Philip's been freed and he's talking to Blackbeard, he's saying, you know, anyone can be saved, and Blackbeard's like, not everyone. I ain't being saved. I'm fucking evil through and through, right? And that's interesting. That's a really interesting dynamic you've set up there between Blackbeard and Philip, because Philip believes in inherent good and morality and like doing the right thing and he believes anyone can be saved you've got a guy who believes that not only can that people are fundamentally selfish and evil but he is believes that because he is himself that in blackbeard why are we not keep those two together 
Why are we spending all this time having Philip save the mermaid and be in love with the mermaid when any scene after the initial time he saves her... Because you can do it once because then that's him proving his point about being good and, you know, moral and what have you. And you get Blackbeard making a wry comment the first time it happens about how he's protecting the fish or whatever. I can't remember exactly what he says. Why do we not explore that more? <laughs> we have a mermaid who can tell us with with, with ma- mermaid magic who the good and bad people are. So we're going to use her to tell us Jack's a good person. And we're using Philip to tell us how much of a bad person Blackbeard is. This is genius. These, these two characters are perfectly positioned to do that. But instead, half of their scenes are them talking to each other. <laughs> Because yeah. they've decided there's a love story there. <laughs> because I guess I guess they finished the script and went, you know what we don't have? A love story. Because Jack's That's what it feels like. It yeah. feels like a it feels like them going, A pirate's movie needs a Will and Elizabeth. Right. So yeah. let's give yeah. what if one of them was a mermaid? Yeah. And it's, um, it feels to, like to... And it but it feels like instead of inventing two characters for that to be their purpose, they looked at the script they already had, saw two smaller characters that had a role in informing us about the two main characters, which is arguably Jack and Blackbeard in this protagonist antagonist. Yeah. Arguably, I, 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 it's a messy script in that sense. These pirates movies all are because people's sides are always switching. The movies never had a clear. This is the hero. This is the protagonist sort of character. I think it's it's always been flexible across these films. So that's 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 fine. But yeah, if I think what they did, which I think is an even bigger crime, is taking two characters that were there to help bring those characters into the into the forefront and help us learn more about them. And made them the love story as well as that. So these two characters that don't get a massive amount of screen time not only now have to be the things they were originally designed to be in the script, but they also have to be the script's love story because you can't make the script's love story Jack and Angelica because what we've established is Jack will always run away from that. (laughs) So we're in a weird situation where as much as it makes sense for Jack's character to not do that, they've sort of shot themselves in the foot because I feel like they were drafting this script and going like, well, here's our love story. It's Jack Angelica. And then going, oh no, but the whole point of this is Jack will never actually commit to that. As, you know, as we demonstrate with our final scene, you know, for better or worse. Shit. Mm. <laughs> what do we, what do we do? All right, well, we got the missionary guy and we got the mermaid and we'll make them, we'll make them fall in love. Well, I it's, like, I like That's that why they, that's so they also thin, need, I think. They also then need to, need to and this this might be because i i this this is an element where i'm like i should go i wanted to go back and like check whether i'm right on this but i also like that not only have you got missionary fella someone needs to let him escape so am i am, am i remembering this right that they also have like another guy on the crew who's kind of good but we don't spend any time with him so we just occasionally like yes, cut to him there's, there's like and a young he boy out <laughs> Yeah, like this yeah. young lad, and you're like, who the fuck's he? And you're like, you're like, why are they occasionally showing this fella? And it's because at the end they need someone to tie him out to let him out. <laughs> like, yes, like, oh come on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, look, I, 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 I'm all for like characters that just they exist for small roles. So you, so you, you make sure that they're you establish their present. So that when they have a small role later in the film, you know, there's nothing wrong with characters having different levels of involvement, but it's it's the um, it's there the is. it's the lack of subtlety to it. I think that's the problem. But I'll there's be honest something. with you, that that comes down that is definitely directing because the choice to keep editing in shots of that kid reacting to everything happening is an absolutely directing decision. 
A hundred percent. I will. Yeah. There's there's um there's something wrong I think with little parts that go nowhere if you're if you're wasting incredible talent on them. This movie does it three times. Judy Dench, which to be fair I think is deliberately a fun cameo. Uh, Richard Griffiths <laughs> as the yes. as the king, which again to be fair is only ever going to be in that scene. But the one that is you know really egregious on reflection just because of how talented they are is Stephen Graham. <laughs> <laughs> Who's great but wasted? <laughs> yeah, I, but I think that's I. I'll be honest with you. Is the Stephen Graham character any different from Mackenzie Crook doing his character in the previous Pirates movies? Yeah, well, that's part of my problem with them. It felt like it felt like him and um, Chris Christopher Fairbanks, which I guess to be fair, I, maybe I'm just saying that because I really noticed it was Christopher Fairbanks because I like him as an actor mm-hmm. and I like it when he pops up in movies. I like you know Guardians One for me was just like, hey, it's Chris Fairbanks, and he's in he's in three as well. He's that guy. Um, for those wondering, and he was in Aliens 3 and stuff as well. Mm-hmm. Batman, he's in the first, he's in 89 Batman. Um, but uh, with those two those two characters, for me, I'm like watching it going, well, this is just, you might as well have brought or tried to bring back Mackenzie Crook and the other guy, because that's who these two characters are. <laughs> right. So you might as well but, have just but, tried but to do bring you, them back. You, I mean, I agree, and I think there's a really good chance, Chris, that's who it was on the script, on paper. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm not saying I know that for sure, obviously, but do you not think that Stephen Graham and the, the the guy he's with, those two characters, I think one's called Scrum. Um, I've forgotten the name of the guy that he's sometimes with, but I it wouldn't surprise me if in an early draft of the script they were intending to bring back um those two characters and and then couldn't get the actors in question, which is fair enough. I think when you've done three coming back for a fourth i i i understand any actor choosing not to be involved in this movie right um that Mm. makes sense to me and i think considering the lack of you know when you've made will and elizabeth sort of a little the 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 the, the sort of moral and practical center of the previous three movies like they are they are the characters that experience the most growth because as you pointed out when we reviewed the first one i thought it's such an astute observation you very clearly said jack almost never needs to never it should never grow in the same way that's why you have a will and that's why you have an elizabeth they get to go on the ark jack gets to be a constant right he's a he's a force of chaos and nature he's a bit like the doctor in that way i think is how you described it and again an extremely astute observation and they have stuck to that jack has not grown in these movies and as much as i don't care for the scene they do demonstrate it by his choice at the end to abandon angelica on the island <laughs> that is that is the movie doing its Simpsons between episodes reset. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm. So I so you're in, I'm in a position here where maybe maybe one of the bigger issues with this movie is not finding an actual character to be at the center of this in the way Will and Elizabeth were. Um that maybe yeah. that is maybe that is the bigger crime here. Um yeah. You know, because 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 that's maybe we didn't have you, you know you maybe the reason you you felt unconnected and like you didn't care too much about you know Angelica as a character or you know well Philip and Serena we talked about why they don't work but maybe the reason is just that they they didn't get the they they weren't they were they were they were sort of written as characters alongside Jack rather than Will and Elizabeth which were 
written as if they were the main characters, even if structurally they weren't the main characters. That's actually a really interesting choice. I'm thinking back to those three first three movies. If we're talking about like time on screen and whose story we are telling, just practically, structurally, it's Jack. We follow Jack, right? But when you actually go to the like, who's growing, whose story is this? It is Will and Elizabeth's. And I don't think I can think of many movies that do that, where the person who is centre of the story is not the same as the person who's doing all the growing. (laughs) Yeah, and I I think for the first film, we I think we follow Elizabeth quite. Do you know what I mean? Like it starts on Elizabeth. It's it's you know about her journey. But yeah, I I think you know once once we we do the opening scene, that everything then is from Jack's perspective, right? And we see everything from Jack's side of the of the story after that. Because we go off with Jack on the adventure while she's still home, right? Before she comes and joins them on the adventure. There's a point when she gets yeah, kidnapped. Yeah. There's a point when she gets kidnapped and we don't necessarily initially see what's happening with that. We cut off to Jack and we're following Jack. Then we come back to her. Um, I don't know. Maybe yeah. I'm wrong. Maybe yeah, I'm wrong. Because there is the scene where she's on the ship and she discovers Barbosa is, you know, a, a ghostly skeletal Horror, yeah, and Jack's, J- Jack's, Jack's always with Will, so you could make an argument it's Will, um, who's yeah. obviously in the first scene as well. well that's but I, you could argue the toss either way on that. I, I think the basic, the, there is a point of this movie naturally, because, you know, they want to they wanna make the bucks. This movie is, is taking a character that is certainly, whichever way you toss it, is not, you know, is not, has never been a main antagonist as the way they are trying to be here. Although that intro, I fucking hate that intro. Like, seeing him dressed as a judge, it's just so obvious and like, ugh. But, but to pay, to pay a compliment, Dan, I, th- and, and to talk, continue talking about Jack, I thoroughly enjoy the escape scene um, when mm. he escapes from the king. Because specifically, yes. Yes. not necessarily the action within it, but it is for me the best execution of who Jack is. You see him glance at the window. You see him glance yep. around. You in the in disguised in all the madness. You you the fact that he is pissing about with the chains to the point where the king just goes, "Oh, just take them off him," and he gets let out of the chains. Like you. In that scene, what appears to be haphazard, crazy Jack Sparrow madness is a methodical plan that he has come up with cleverly on the spot. And, and But it's all being disguised as mm-hmm. mad Jack Sparrow-ness. And I, that is, for me, the, what should be the heart of the character um what we should you know i don't like i i don't like i i can i don't it doesn't agree me as much as i imagine it might some people but you know him him leaping from trees like he's fucking spider-man i don't particularly like uh i wrote i did write i did write a note about that i just very quickly it's um cgi swinging rope swinging from trees blah not with not under vibinski yeah (laughs) yeah i don't i don't like that shit but but and it's and it's for me it's like equally i'm not i'm not outraged by it it's not as much as the like the love story but i you know that for me is a bad example of what that is that is going well jack's our hero let's have him be a hero but that that escape scene is like this is this is at the heart of jack sparrow through all these movies and in my opinion is the best execution and the most interesting execution of jack sparrow that clever thinking being disguised 
as drunk pirate madness yeah. is fantastic and it's done really well in that scene yeah and I, and I think it's like it's like the writers sort of latched on to that idea that joke from the last movie i think it's jack davenport's character says he says you know do you think he oh no someone says it to jack davenport do you think he makes it up or do you think it's all part of the plan and there's this weird question mark over jack's sort of chaotic way of getting himself in and out of scrapes and I think it's like the writers went, let's let's actually, for the first time, show it from Jack's perspective. Basically, let's let's actually put into the script the the setup that then leads to the chaos. Let's show him dropping the napkin that the guy will later slip on. Let's show him his eye line going to the window going to the balcony he's ultimately going to get to let's show him throwing the food up to the to the chandelier so that he can have that as he leaves like you know you, like actually it's like um it's like getting to see it from his perspective maybe for the first time like this notion that he's this is what he's been doing all along but it comes across to the observer as chaos um mm. But actually, there is a certain amount of planning that goes into what Jack does. And the reason Jack continues to survive and continues to be a reasonably successful pirate, at least to some degree, is because of this. And I 100% agree with you. It's one of the the best sequences in the movie. Absolutely. Um, I think it's a really, really fun idea. And it is executed really well. Um, I think they... I think they did a really good job with it. And I, and, and obviously even, I mean, credit as well to like, I mean, I'm assuming, well, I, I, you know, you never know, I guess you'd have, you'd have to find the script, but like uh, Rob Marshall, obviously at least here is, has put those things, you know, competently to camera. Cause that is hard to, com- to communicate because you want me to understand. You're not just showing me the window, but that Jack is moving his glance to the window and back to the balcony, right? You want me to see and understand that. So the way those shots are put together works really well with in tandem with what's been with with, with what's been written there. And I think that's you know it's probably the closest in the whole movie. I come to feeling like a human being is actually directing it because the the like uh, I tell you what the per the per you know I tell you what let's let, well, let the perfect example of his directing being flat and uninteresting. Let's talk about the fucking fight, the sword fight that takes place roughly in the same section of the movie as the uh, the Will and Jack uh, blacksmith's office fight from the first one. Um, not the workshop, guys. The office, the blacksmith's office. Uh, we got Jim. G- 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 yeah. G- we got we got Jim in the background glancing at the camera like these two, eh? <laughs> um, Absolutely, the office. I heard nothing. I heard nothing else. Um, let's let's talk then about the fight between or the sword fight between Jack and Angelica. That's the beginning of the movie when we first reveal her to be in his the Jack Sparrow guys, um, and he goes in and they have a sword fight. Do you remember anything that happens in that sword fight? Nah, no. Several I minutes. I remember long. at one point they go they go on beams, and I was like, oh, this is literally ripping off. <laughs> The, the the first movie. Yeah, the only thing yeah, Ira can tell it. you right now, having watched this movie less than twenty four hours ago, I remember that at some point Jack jumps over a barrel because he sort of scrambles over it. It's not like a it's not a clean jump. He sort of does a Jack Sparrowy scramble, and I think the only reason that visually is committed to my brain, Chris is because Johnny Depp does a bit of physical comedic acting as he gets over the barrel. 
What about the fight scene at the end? Gee, what about the, 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 the... There's a bunch of sword fights. Barbosa and Blackbeard have a big epic sword fight. Chris, can you tell me a single thing other than the outcome that happens during that fight? No, 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 no. Not at all. This, this is why I think it's harder... I'm not saying it's the only reason, but I do think this is one of the big reasons it's hard to invest in this movie. <laughs> I, I, it's so well, flat. I think, you know, it's we, so flat. What we talked a lot about in, in the previous three episodes for the previous three movies was your, 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 new, your newfound hard-on for, for yeah. Gore Gavinsky. And I think what we've learned here is if you, if you had a newfound hard-on for Gore Gavinsky, then Rob Marshall's made you impotent. Is what we've is what we've discovered. I think <laughs> Rob Marshall's how I last longer. <laughs> Rob Marshall, what? Sorry, I'm not going to repeat that joke. That's the worst joke I've ever said. I did. I didn't hear you. I was loving it. Rob, Rob Marshall is how I last longer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's not. Um, but it's yeah, gen- no, I, I, I agree. Though. Like I, I, it's it, it's so night and day it's it was it was it was incredible to start watching this movie because look i know what rob marshall's job is but you know i saw i saw um little mermaid it's competently put together i saw um what's the other one he did the, the other big disney one mary poppins returns competently put together nothing necessarily wrong with that it's just you know not very altered but it's fine this one was the first Rob Marshall movie I've watched where I was really like, oh no, this guy has like no vision. Like there's nothing to this. It's so, like you could have literally hired like a, like, you know, just a camera guy to like come in and be like, okay, put the cameras there. Like I, <laughs> there's no voice. There's no, there's, do, you think, do you think that's partly, do you think that's partly, because look, look, I just, well, I didn't. This is one of those things where I don't particularly disagree with you. I just don't. I don't know if I care as much about that. But do you think? So I'm not. I'm not. I you know. And I'm just kind of. We've talked a lot about this Rob Marshall thing. So I think it's you know. I'm I'm trying to deliberately you know poke at it and and present an alternative for the purpose of discussion as opposed to necessarily being you know a diehard Rob Marshall fan. Um, although I think my memory of Mary Poppins Returns was like you that it was that it was good. It was it was a good movie. I think. You know what? Have I even seen it? Maybe I'm talking bollocks. Um, because I think in my head, when I think of Mary Poppins Returns, I also think of the um, Emma Thompson biopic about the author of Mary Poppins, which is fantastic. I did enjoy that. Yes, incredible. Um, but I think I've seen. Was it I Saving saving, saving, saving Mr. Returns. Banks? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I th- I'm pretty sure I've seen Mary Poppins Returns and thought it was all right. But anyway, do you think part of that is... The fact that you know we're watch the context of which we're watching this is is the fourth movie and the first three are so altered. Like I said earlier, like a more like mm. a more loathem, he made some fucking decisions in those movies, right. and 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 a lot of this also feels like. And this is this I think is in is in everything is is this is in the script by the fact that I so I think there's a real issue of this movie just going. Well, people liked that. Let's do it again. So in the script, we literally have lines repeated. Have you threatened me before? And all that sort of shit. We we have dialogue that is, you know, sorry, he says at the end for the even, even it's like at the end where he's like, well, it's a pirate's life for me. Savvy, and it's like, oh, we've got to the end of the movie, and he's not said that, so let's just have him say it at the end and put the two right. But again, can I tell you very quickly together. on that one? That the thing is, he improvised savvy, so it, when he put it in in the mm. previous movies, felt natural, and and that's because the vibe that was created very much on set was improvised. 
do what you want mm. if you've got an idea stick it in and we'll, we'll go we'll just do it and i and again i do think that comes down to the director but yeah carry on sorry um in the in the action it feels like the mermaid sequence in particular it's it not and i agree with you on the it's an interesting idea but the 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 directing of the mermaid scene I don't think makes it as spectacular as it could be but again mm-hmm. that feels like well we needed the other films had the will and we had set pieces so we need a set piece let's do mermaids um, and it's just not firing on all cylinders on any on or any stretch and the other big one for me of fucking re- trying to replicate what's gone before fuck me look it's a good refrain right it's a good song that dun, 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 it's it's great like it's fantastic but fuck me is it overused in this movie especially in the first half every action scene mm-hmm. has the pirates theme in on it and i'm like jeez you are overusing this and it is therefore not creating it's not doing what it should do because you are overusing it because people yeah. like and yeah it's fucking epic but it's not epic if it's played on every fucking action scene yeah I, I, yeah, and I, but I, th- I, I don't know who that comes down to. But again, we, we in the previous movie we did have a lot of triv specific about the use of the songs and when it was put in, and it was at Verbinski's insistence. You know, he chose to edit to the song when he needed it. So yeah. I, I do wonder again if that's another element of just his. But you know, getting to your original question, um, because I, I agree with a lot of what you just said. Um, so there's no point in me repeating that. I, I, I think, it, look, it definitely hurts Rob Marshall that we're doing it this way, 100%. Because how do you expose a director, or how, what would expose a director without much voice of their own? Well, you would let them follow follow up three movies directed by someone with a really, really distinct, clear voice. <laughs> because that will absolutely throw into sharp focus the lack of one. 100%. All day, all day, air day, yeah. <laughs> you know, and whether whether yes. that's made me react stronger or not, maybe, but I don't think it makes anything that I'm concerned about here or complaining about here less true. Uh, you know, it, 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 yeah. it certainly makes it's 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 brought it's, you know, shone a big old light on it in a way that hasn't done before, because like I said, I saw Little Mermaid, I, you know, I didn't particularly I didn't love it, but I didn't dislike it. Like it was fine. Yeah, same. And Mary Poppins Returns, same. There was some creative ideas in the, in the script. Um, you know, it it was shot competently. Like there was there, there was a movie that was shot well enough. Like it was lit right, and the, the scenes worked physically. You know, nothing wrong with it. But again, a little bit flat. And I don't think about it. You know, it comes and it goes, right? But then when you make him direct the fourth movie in a franchise suddenly it becomes clear why I just think the other movies are fine that we talked about and don't love them. Mm. And I, and, and, and while, so, so what I'm saying is essentially, yeah, I think you're right. I do think the other movies being directed by someone with such a clear idea of what these movies should be and such a clear vision, whether you agree with that vision or not, whether you love the pirates movies or not, as you yourself, Chris said, and I'm with the you in the first part of that was the audience, not you, Chris. <laughs> you know, yeah, whether you whether yeah. you love or hate these films, there's no denying Vavinsky has a voice and a style and a tone that he's going for. Um, and that he is executing, clearly, you know. Um, and I just, yeah, I 100% do not feel that here at all. Um, and uh, you, I, I, that is so, a real shame. 
There's a little game called Three Quick Questions and a Comment, although I think the second question is probably going to be uh, uh, maybe a longer discussion for that. Mm. Um, the Is there anything in the triv about what the fuck the Judy Dench cameo is about? <laughs> no, no. How it no. happened, why it happened. Okay, well, that's then that's weird, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's a bit strange. Yeah, I can try and find out why, qu- why is Judy Dench in. Yeah. <laughs> Let's find yeah, out. Let me, I'm going to Google it while you while you make your next comment and question. Go ahead. Well, it's a but it's a question for you. Um, so it's, if you can multitask, feel yeah. free. Do you think Do you think Johnny Depp's is good in this movie? No. Yeah. And unfortunately, I think again that comes down to the lack of being able to improvise because there's a weird sort of like unpredictability to Jack Sparrow in the previous movies where you just never know what he's exactly going to do. Like that moment where the feather hits him on the face during their like standoff at the end of the first movie and he sort of like like bats it out of his way in a panicky way and then gets back in. He's still in character the whole time and he whizzes around. Like, and you know that wasn't intended to happen, but he reacted naturally as Jack to it. Whereas here it feels like they're following the script letter for letter. Which is why it... do do we know for yeah. do we know for sure that he you know that is, is there not a possibility that that's either he's been told to improvise less or he's less excited by it and and he isn't improvising as much by his own choice do we um, know for sure well, that's well, a, a choice that was directed to him no I don't think that no I I, I think improvisation and how how much you can improvise on set it is generally speaking to my understanding with the director in terms of like it's either encouraged or discouraged. Like, you know, Kevin Smith famously discourages improvising on his sets. You know, he's like, get the script. You know, Judd Apatow famously the opposite way, right? His movies, he very much creates a vibe of, we'll get what's on the page and then we'll try it a few different ways until we get something that works, you know, and and, and we're happy with and, you know, we'll we'll just play around with it. We'll have some, we'll have some on set fun. So I think, if as a director you're coming in, you're like, right, we've got six shots to get today. We're going to shoot this. We're going to shoot this. We're going to shoot this. And every time you get the exact take that's the script and you're moving on, you're creating that tone of that. And that is usually where it comes from. Usually. I'm not we saying don't know for always, sure. We don't know exactly. There's no trip this to is, suggest that. Definitely. 100%. We don't know that that's where that comes from here. We do know yeah. from the trivia from the previous weeks that Verbinski very much encouraged it. Because that is directly what people have said and what was been evidenced yeah, yeah. by the multiple moments that the Triv revealed were improvisations rather than decided in the script well ahead of time. Tons of those across all the movies. Um, so we know Verbinski encouraged it. We do not know that Rob Marshall discouraged it. We do not know whether that was just uh, we're trying to keep this under budget thing. It could very well be that it was Disney's choice do less faffing about on set to save money because we don't know how successful this will be. Um, so maybe he was just doing his job. Like, as he, as, he, as I said, Disney tend to just bring him in to make the projects they want in the way that they want. And he's he's he, he very much is considered to be a bit of a yes man for that. And then it's fine. It, 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 look, people need to work. Nothing against him personally. Um, that's an, absolutely a choice in a way that look, he's made a bunch of really successful movies for disney let's you know let's not let's not uh you know shit on that you know there's room in this world for people who come in to do their job and tv directors generally speaking are brought in for that exact reason you know they come in to keep the tone of the show consistent and not fiddle with the process you know they just come in they they call action they call cut they work with the actors 
but the production is all handled by the same people that do it every week right you know so that's that's how so there's nothing i'm not objecting to that as a process in that's in in the in the general sense but in this example i do think that was a mistake because the first films had such creativity to them but for whatever reason whether it came from marshall whether it came from the tone on the set whether it came from disney looking to like not allow them the time in each shot to do multiple takes to get improvisations wherever it came from it's fucking clear it didn't happen here like madly clear you could the movies the movie feels like it's the script brought to screen exactly as it was written there is no sense of unpredictability to it there's no sense of that chaos to it that comes with the movies that are a bit more improvised and i think that really really specifically hurts jack sparrow I don't think it hurts the other characters in the same way at all, but I do think it hurts Jack Sparrow massively. Mm. So, yeah. yeah. The, my, my other comment, uh, Ian McShane's pretty fucking good, isn't he? In I, this? I love Ian McShane so much. Yeah, um, really good. I think he's... I, like, I, he wouldn't have been my go-to if a Blackbeard, if someone had said you're casting Blackbeard. I don't think Ian McShane would have occurred to me, if I'm being completely honest with you. Um, but fuck me, does he do a good job. <laughs> the scene, one of my favorite scenes in the whole movie, which we haven't discussed, and one of the ones that has some of the most creative ideas in it, regardless of how it's shot, is the ship responding to the sword the first time it happens that when we introduce blackbeard so there's a for those who don't recall um there's a mutiny on the ship led by jack uh the queen anne's revenge which is blackbeard's ship because he doesn't believe blackbeard is there he thinks it's a, a, a ploy of some sort even though they've already seen his famous zombified crew members but whatever jack or maybe jack was doing that maybe jack knew full well blackbeard was on the ship and he was just misleading the um the, the crew to create the mutiny because he knew they wouldn't do it if they were too scared of Blackbeard. So maybe actually that's part of Jack's sort of double bluffing or whatever. But there's a big mutiny, and it ends with Blackbeard coming out, and with a few waves of his sword, all the ropes like tie up the, the, the crew, and there's a guy that tries to jump off the ship, and the ropes come down and grab him and pull him up. Really, really cool. And there's so much gravitas to that scene. And Ian McShane, want, like, the way he like comes onto the screen with all that like energy and charisma, it's great. I, you, you genuinely, like he feels like a big threat in that moment mm. so yeah yeah for sure and he, he feels like a good degree of sort of again just menace but also this sort of unhinged <laughs> approach mm. um and he feels he th- he, fe- he does feel very threatening throughout the entire movie i think he's got a, he's got a presence for sure yeah i agree and he's got a really clear like i, I think a really clear like sort of uh, characterization like I, you understand that character pretty much from minute one and he very rarely shifts from that position like he, he you know he's 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 very consistently written i think um you know he's not a particularly complex character i would argue uh but i don't think he's designed to be i think he's designed to be the antagonist in that very clear way because he's there to throw a light on on jack as a contrast you know um, so I think that's pretty good. Um, I've got the answer to the Judy Dench question. Would you like to? Would you like to know? Mm. I'd love it. Um, so she'd worked with both Rob Marshall and Johnny Depp um, fairly well, not that recently with Depp. So she worked with Johnny Depp in in the year two thousand in the movie Choc- Chocolat. <laughs> um, 
Um, I hope I'm pronouncing that right because it is written that way without the uh, without the like. I fucking hate the fact that movie's called that. Anyway, um, but she'd just worked with Rob Marshall um, a year or two before on um, a movie called Nine uh, from 2009. Um, so they were they were all buddies. So I guess that was an yeah, easy okay. just like we, we've got a role. Do you want to come in for a day? Um, yeah. Uh, famous film director. Well, I think yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. So the movie Nine is. I, I don't actually know much about the movie Nine, so I just quickly looked it up. Uh, yeah, this doesn't look great. It's got Daniel Day Lewis in the lead though. Aha, and Penelope Cruz. Interesting. Mm. You should check it out, Dan. I think that you know this. This is this experience has given you a real appreciation for for Rob Marshall's work. Yeah, I think you've come out a big fan. You should. Hey, look, you should watch I- it. I, I, you know, one of the things I always credit uh, Wes Anderson for is that he must be like really, really good and easy to work with because actors gravitate towards his work and will take way less than they're normally paid to do a Wes Anderson movie, right? You know, that's that's the yeah. thing we talk about. Looking at this cast list, you know, for for nine, Daniel Day Lewis, uh, Marion Cotillard, Penelope Cruz, Nicole Kidman, actors like to work with him. He must yeah, be, yeah. he must, he must yeah. be a really nice, pleasant guy to work with. He must be, you know. Uh, you know, have a really consistent sort of um, like tone on set that, that you know that, that's that's comfortable and in control and like that. You know, as a director, people clearly are gra- you know gravitating to his productions. You know, we talked about um, this, is, but this is always that balance, isn't it? You know, you those sort of mad geniuses that bring chaos wherever they go. You know, there's lots of talk of like back in the day when Dan Harmon was running Community scripts turning up really late. You know, sometimes that kind of creativity has comes hand in hand with a certain amount of stress and chaos from a practical production standpoint, because they're not a steady hand. Um, uh, and then, you know, you look at, um, what was the, I had another example in my head, but it's, it's just slipped away as I was talking. Oh yeah. We do. Well, we look at the, the this franchise, look at Zoe Saldana's experience working on Gore Verbinski's set. <laughs> right. So to, to Rob Marshall's credit, like he clearly, uh, you know, he's clearly a very steady hand. It's a, it, you know, it's clearly a functional production with very minimal chaos, and like people clearly enjoy working with him. So yeah, um, let's work on getting messages from Nadia. He is really nice to work with. On the space film, they ate dinner together every night and then messed about. I assume she means Wes Anderson. She, is she, is she, is she, <laughs> yeah, because I don't. The, he he hasn't. Rob Marshall's not done a space film <laughs> film, has he? <laughs> Asteroid City, right, yeah, yeah. There you go. There you go. Now, so Nadia said that the, the story from... She said that girl from Stranger Things. I can't, I can't remember which girl from Stranger Things is in Asteroid City. Oh, God. This, this, this isn't good, mate, for good podcast content. <laughs> No one can hear you, and I'm not going to repeat your whole description of the scene and the person whose name you don't remember. I will do it then. Okay. What's that, sorry? Yeah, you can hear you. Go. Oh, okay. So, the, the, 
girl, and in Stranger Things, she wears a sailor outfit, and in Asteroid City, she doesn't want to dance when the boy sings a song, but it's such a banger, she has to dance, so she looks so reluctant when she dances, and she's like, bah, 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 bah. and then the cowboy comes and dances with her yeah. because he's in love with I've her. I've seen Asteroid City. Yeah, that one. Yes, this girl. Yeah, yeah, I found her on, I found her on Google. I'm trying to find the actress's name. She's a Nepo baby. Ma- Ma- Maya Hawke? Yeah, Nepo baby. So, yeah, okay. Thank you. <laughs> so Maya Hawke apparently has said in interviews she had a very good time on the set of Wes Anderson's Asteroid Sea. That is what the conclusion we've come to. What a better film mm. than Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah. <laughs> a better film than Pirates of the Caribbean, <laughs> Nadia has added a shoe left. I didn't love Astro yeah. City. I thought Astro City was fine. But yeah, um, I was a little disappointed with it because it wasn't as good as his last movie. I much preferred The French Dispatch. But anyway. Um... Yeah, wow. So yeah, that's so Judy Dench clearly was just happy to work with Rob Marshall again and came in. So that's how that happened. It's, it's the longest way to get to that answer we've ever done. Yeah. What are your what are your other other notes? Because I got I'm 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 out of opinions I, on Stranger Tides personally. I, I, I got a, a couple of compliments to play to the dialogue. There's some of my favourite dialogue of this whole franchise. I think in this in this movie, some really really astute like on point dialogue, which actually. You know, maybe that ends up to the, on the screen. <laughs> maybe that ends up on the screen verbatim as a result of the lack of. Maybe there was some great lines that <laughs> didn't quite make their way um, into the previous movies for the, the opposite reason to what we were just talking about. Pure speculation, obviously, but just it's funny to think. Uh, but yeah, someone at one point says to Jack, "Your words surround you like a fog, make you hard to see," which I think really hits the theme of this movie and the theme of that or how they've characterized Jack as almost not wanting to get attached to anyone, not wanting to be really seen for who he actually is. You know, he's mildly ashamed of actually wanting to help people sometimes. Um, I also really enjoyed the line, you're rescuing a damsel, that's a first, because obviously very rarely in these films do they have damsels. I thought that was a nice both meta nod at the film's lack of damsels, but also the unusual nature of Jack saving someone else. Usually he ends up getting into trouble. Thought that was fun. One of my favorite lines in the movie comes in one of my least favorite scenes. So the the scene where he dumps her on the beach, she says, I love you. And Jack geniusly replies with, as do I always have always will. I assume Mm. referring to himself. (laughs) Yeah, that was my, that was my read on it. But I like you, I did also appreciate and enjoy that. It could be read the other way. Potentially (laughs) that line genuinely, Chris, like, if this was an, a better movie, that would be an iconic film line. That would be like... That is genuinely one of the best lines in any of these three movies, four movies. Like, it's so good. That is so good. What a perfect response to a character like Jack responding to I love you. As do I. It's great. It's so good. Um, what else did I... So the, um... Oh, there's uh, yeah. They they do put in the dialogue later on as well. The moment when when Barbosa asks the question about whether he needs to, you know, whether he needs to, they need to make a plan before they enter the building, or if they need to, you know, if they're just going to. And Jack just does. Sometimes I improvise, which I thought was a nice way to sort of. If anyone doesn't like the notion that everything Jack does is deeply planned, like it's set up in the beginning of the movie, you can kind of see that as a sign that maybe sometimes he does make it up as he goes, just occasionally. But I think yeah, yeah, I, yeah. there's also an element of Jack waving it off as well, though. whereas, it, you know, so I, yeah, I think you can take that any way you like, which is probably good. Um, I think I wrote down the phrasing, and I think this is actually like, I'll save that for like a summary at the end, because actually I've written down, one of my notes is is 
summarizes why I think the movie didn't work for me. Well, parts of the movie didn't work for me. Uh, let's see. Is uh, it Rob Marshall's directing? It's I th- I, What I wrote was, the movie is missing the kinetic energy, spirit, and creativity of the previous ones. That's how I wrote it down. Mm. Um, so, like a solid script with no real spark is how I described it mm. in my in my notes. Um, I think we might have actually covered everything else. Uh, let me have a look. Uh, we talked about that. We talked about that. And so there, there we were. We were actually in time um, to to do final summary. So yeah, for me, this is a recommend. I think I enjoy this a lot more than I remembered. And and uh, I think I think maybe depending on the day, I might put this above World's End because World's End is so messy. Um, but I, I really, what I'm really sad about is the potential for these ideas, the, this script, in a, in 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 Vavinsky's hands. It, this, the movie is frustrating to watch in that in that respect because again, because it's shot so differently to the previous ones. Um, and you and you know, I'm I'm refra- refraining from calling it blandly because I think some people will tell me they think Rob Marshall does a great job here. I'm sure, um, but I, I doubt it because this movie got absolutely panned at the box office, not the box office, at the uh, in the reviews. So you know. Uh, <laughs> question question mark yeah i think i think i I could see someone enjoying it like because you know what i mean if you uh, i agree with you if you i think it does it amplifies some of the worst things about the sequels but also it does address some of them as well and Mm -hmm. i think if you're just after a turn your brain off summer blockbuster movie Mm -hmm. then there's a world when you could really enjoy this um and see it as that and see it as certainly less convoluted than the last two so i you know i i would i would recommend because there's the potential for that but i don't i don't by any means think it's a good movie <laughs> yeah I, I think yeah i i mean look if we if you want the good pirates movies it's the first two isn't it really <laughs> like <laughs> you know i think we were acknowledged i think i think this always comes with the caveat of pirate sequels not particularly loved well neither we've got a movie next week neither of us have seen so we can't we can't conclude that just yet but yeah certainly seems that way uh, yeah the reviews for that were, were were definitely were definitely not great um let's funnily enough i'm just i finally got that i i just refreshed because my first bit of trivia chris was related to the budget and i really wanted to glance at that forbes article um to see if that it, it corrects anything that i'm putting in here but i'm just, uh, i'm having trouble um yeah, interesting. Interesting. Okay. Okay, well, okay, I'll come back to that in a second, because there's some interesting stuff here. I don't know if that's... it. Yeah, so it looks like, officially, Disney have reported the budget as $200 million, uh, because the budget has been scaled down, basically. Uh, yeah, do, we, do we set up that we're in triv? It's trivia, everyone. Chris, do the thing. It's trivia up! I'm going to give you some trivia. Let's go. So yeah, so the budget had to be scaled down. That was Disney's decision here. And again, why maybe Rob Marshall seems like a safe, a safe, a safe hands? Because I think yeah, that makes real sense. If Disney are really being protective of it and looking to make the production, you know, not as chaotic <laughs> as we 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 got that, you know, that makes such good sense. So they wanted it no more than two hundred million dollars um, because the budget of the previous one was three hundred million dollars um, and. 
basically a guy called Rich Ross, who was the studio president at the time, mandated that um, because of a there was an, eco- an, an economic slowdown for no reason at all in around so 2007, 2008. So that, yeah, when this guy came in and they were starting to make this movie, presumably in sort of 2009, 2010, they, that, that was the, the, the mandate. But looking at the Forbes article, the, uh, let's see. Oh, that's really poor timing. Nadia's just texted me, but I'm just going to see. Yeah, one sec. Is it is it more thoughts on Asteroid City? No, I don't think so. <laughs> it's a shame. <laughs> That's fine. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, so having a look, basically, um, it's shot in the United Kingdom, and to make it eligible for a government film tax scheme, which entitles the movie to certain expenditures, they can claim back up to twenty percent. The movie, the expenses of the movie qualifying for the scheme that they put forward were more than has been reported elsewhere. So we don't know. Looking at it here, we can't... It's hard to distinguish what is what. Yeah, here you go. So this is the problem. So the companies tend to have code names for different productions when they do this, so people can't, like, try and put it together. Um, It's looking like, according to this, they filed... But where's the actual figure? I just had it in front of me. Yeah, the production, the, based on, between... Ah, see, this is the problem. <laughs> so, I, this is why I doubt this now, actually, looking at it. Because between 2009 and 2013, production costs were listed as £410 million, pounds, which is $240 million. So... Forbes have it as $240 million, but they also have the production time as being passed when it was actually shot. So what I'm assuming is other things were shot under that production code, which means this is a spurious right. figure, okay. unfortunately. Um, but it's, essentially, it's unclear then. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So uh, actually, sorry, apologies. I, I mixed up the two. So $410 million, which would have been £240 million, which is what they suggested. But again, this movie came out in 2011, and this the, the, this window in which they were filing for taxes was 20, to, to 2009 to 2013. So I think other productions may have come under that that tax rebate for other stuff they shot in the UK during that period of time. So yeah, so all we can do is go by the other data we have, which suggests the movie was made for two hundred. So there you go. Um, that, sorry, I had to sort of work that out on the fly while we were podcasting. Not the greatest way to figure it out, but we got good. We, we got to the answer. Um, what a strange thing that so many different places, including Wikipedia, claim that it's you know most expensive movie of all time when that's the data. I don't know if that really verifies anything, but anyway, fine. Um, no, Johnny, yeah, uh, no idea. Yeah, um, Johnny Depp agreed to star in the movie before there was even a script. Um, but he then sort of was a little less enthused when uh, Dick Cook, who was the Disney chairman, was replaced by the guy we just talked about that mandated the budget be lower. Basically, you know, uh, his enth- he said his enthusiasm for the fourth Pirates movie reduced after Cook left. There's a fissure, a crack in my enthusiasm at the moment. It was all born in that office. And he's basically referring to the fact that um, Dick Cook, the previous guy at the studio was one of the ones who supported Depp's weird sort of idea of who Jack should be. You know, there was lots of talk in that first movie about Disney being 
unsure of what Jet Depp was up to on set and how untraditional of a pirate Jack was. Um, so I, yeah, I thought that was very interesting. He he basically felt that this Dick Cook guy trusted him, and then when he was gone, it it hurt uh, Johnny's j- 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 enthusiasm for it. But you know, right. Uh, once he got on set, I assume they were just letting him be Jack Sparrow again. So, but I, but again, I think it's you interesting. Think, but... but, but again, tone on set is 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 it's it's studio. You know, the studio going to bring in their people and like have a certain amount of say in that, no matter what, aren't they? Um, mm. So yeah, uh, so the book, the, the book, the movie was basically uh, lightly, loosely based on a 1988 pirate novel on Stranger Tides by Tim Powers. Um, and funnily enough, that novel's protagonist is also a pirate named Jack, but that is very specifically just a, a coincidence. The, they they just took some of the, uh, the the larger ideas about the Fountain of Youth, basically, from that book. Um, Penelope Cruz apparently was the only choice uh, for the role of Angelica. Um, she agreed to the role without reading a script. Again. I think, um, you know, already worked with Rob Marshall, and I think also like a certain amount of trust in, in that development. Again, another backup there that the actors seem to really enjoy working with them because she was happy to do it without even seeing a script, which I think is unusual. Um, <laughs> so this is going to make you laugh, Chris. But Stephen Graham was recommended to the director to play Scrum. After Johnny Depp worked with him in Public Enemies, two thousand and nine, so they they worked on a like a on that movie together, and then Depp was like, mm. "Yeah, he's a really talented actor. He should play this weird comedic <laughs> pirate guy. He should he should play this unrewarding <laughs> pirate role." Um, but yeah, I thought that was fun, and I, you know what? I look, I, I genuinely think Stephen Graham's having fun in this role, whether you whether you, whether it's like a good or important role or not. I think Stephen Graham's having a good time, so I'm I'm happy for him. Mm. I'll take that. Um, That's fair. Yeah, uh, Richard Griffiths was also recommended for the role of King George by Johnny Depp um, because Depp was a big fan of With Nail and I, and really liked Richard Griffiths's character in that. Yeah. That sounds like. Johnny Depp had a lot of power at this point, didn't he? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I like this film. Let's cast him. All right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, I guess I guess if... Yeah, there's a, there's a balance there, isn't there? Like when, the movie, when, when the movie star is big enough and the role is small enough, does that make sense? Like, I don't feel like Johnny Depp would have get to handpick who played Angelica or who played Will and Elizabeth in the previous movies. But for a role that's in one scene, all right, J- Johnny wants to work with this guy. Fine, <laughs> it's one scene. The guy yeah, can't. Yeah. The guy can't fuck up the whole movie, right? <laughs> like... <laughs> and he doesn't. He's very good. He's, he's you know, he's Richard no, Griffiths, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But I mean, from the perspective of the studio, who are like just getting a name from Johnny Depp, like even if their worst fear is realised, it's one scene, right? <laughs> You know, um, but you know, Richard Griffiths is an amazing King George uh, in this. Uh, yeah, he's really good. <laughs> he's really good. Um, so apparently, uh, Bill Nye expressed interest in the early rumblings of this movie being put together in returning as Davy Jones. Um, you know, thought there might be a possibility of res- resurrecting the character, um, but it, it never, never materialized. I think wisely. 
I think that's smart. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, one of the other alternatives before they landed on Ian McShane for Blackbeard was Alfred Molina. Um, yeah, I could see that. I like Alfred Molina. That would have been good. Yeah, I think it. I'd, yeah, I think he'd do a good job. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, in fact, I think there's there's a world where he'd do a great job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, very talented actor. Would have been a lot of fun. Um, I'm glad we got who we got. Uh, Ian McShane obviously does a wonderful job, but yeah, uh, I, I, I certainly wouldn't have. Um, if we if we'd have gone on the other version, I don't think that would have hampered the film. Or I think you know we'd have an equally uh, talented actor doing a really good doing a really good version of the of the film. Um, so yeah, uh, according to director Rob Marshall, Ian McShane was chosen because he can play evil, but there's always humour behind it as well. Uh, McShane apparently accepted the job both due to a funny and charming script, but also the opportunity to work with Marshall. So again, signs that. Actors really love working with Rob Marshall. So um, there's lots of that coming as we go through this trip, isn't there? Um, apparently, Megan Fox was considered for the role of Serena, which is the uh, the, the, the sort of main mermaid. Um, I No. No, that would have been distracting, I think. Yeah, she I she was she so. was very much like a woman of the moment, you know, in the, in the, the sort of late two thousands, early, you know what I mean? Like it would have just felt like uh, we put Megan Fox in here because she she seems to be popular right now. It wouldn't have felt like necessarily she yeah. she had it she was a good fit for the character. Yeah, and I think part of the problem with that is that character is so badly written that also people would have just been like, "That was weird. Why was Megan Fox playing such a, <laughs> you know." Or underutilized character. Yeah, agreed. Agreed, agreed. Um, so apparently, Rob Marshall. This is now. This is funny. I, I, I don't know what the thinking is here, but apparently, Rob Marshall invited the Spanish-French actress Astrid Burgess Frisbay. Hope I'm pronouncing that right. To play Serena after seeing her in a French magazine article on up-and-coming actresses. Now. That implies he offered her the role based on seeing she was an up-and-coming actress rather than in, like an actual audition. Now, yeah, I'm, cer- I, that certainly seems to be the implication there, for sure. Yeah. Now, I'm going to assume that that's just poorly written trivia because they, they, there's no way they gave that role to someone that, that was literally on-screen tested, right? That seems insane. Do you not think that seems crazy? Because it's no, not. It seems mad. It's, it's it seems, not. It's yeah, not. Because it's not. Chaos. It's not a lead role, but it's still a fairly prominent role. Like you, you can take a risk on King George who has one scene. You know what I mean? Like that's that's fine. Do you know what I mean? There's there's very little that you know can 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 do to be a problem if the if the actor doesn't work out right. If Johnny Depp actually chose someone not suited to the role, which he didn't, obviously we talked about that, but you know, that seems risky. So I'm going to assume there was an it, there was some sort of at least you know a minimal amount of auditioning that went on there or at least they brought her in for a there has, for there a has chat. to be it would be <laughs> yeah, it would be crazy for there not to be. There right. has to be. So I'm going to assume that trivia is just phrased a little poorly. But what's really interesting about uh, about this actress is she didn't actually, um, she wasn't natively an English speaker at all. Um, Astrid Burgess Frisbee, Fris- who plays that character, so she had to take English lessons um, and swimming and breath control lessons 
to play the character because she she, she wasn't particularly much of a swimmer and, she, and obviously the huge scenes or long scenes underwater so a lot of learning how to like hold her breath and stuff I thought that was really interesting and really yeah fair, uh, and, and shows fair us, play to her for that commitment exactly yeah shows a lot of hard work on her part so I'm on board with that I think that's I think that's cool um, during filming in London I do like this so this is this is one of those like that Johnny Depp he's, he doesn't know how to win over a crowd doesn't he um, during filming in London, Jack Sparrow. Um, oh wait, no, that's the wrong piece of trivia. Where is it? Okay, so while filming in London, Johnny Depp received a letter from a local nine-year-old schoolgirl telling him that her classmates wanted to mutiny against her teachers. Uh, he then turned up to the school with basically no warning, in full Captain Jack Sparrow outfit, but advised against mutiny. <laughs> you gotta love that, haven't you? Yeah. I love the fact as well that he he went and advised against a mutiny. <laughs> like that's cool. Yeah, yeah, I'm on board with that. You know, so he's, he is a master of like, and I'm not saying this was like a manipulation of sorts, but like I, I, you know, he is he is better, I think, than a lot of actors at like knowing exactly what to do to win the public over in any given situation. Mm. Yeah, 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 he's for sure. he's been very good at doing that over the years, whether deliberate or not. Um, that made for good headlines for sure, and a very positive impression of him. Um, you know, maybe in the moment he was just being a nice guy and doing something for fun, mm. but um, yeah. it certainly had the effect <laughs> of winning him support. Um, so during filming in London, a Captain Jack Sparrow impersonator was able to just walk onto the set. He looked so much like the character. He looked he looked so much like the character. Guards did not think to ask for any ID at all. That's fucking brilliant. That's fantastic. <laughs> I do enjoy that. Um, now, you may have noticed, Chris, because I certainly did, that they were being very odd with the camera choices when shooting uh, Penelope Cruz's Angelica. I kept thinking they were framing her shots in a weird way. Um, it turns out I was right um, because she was pregnant throughout production. And while it didn't become noticeable uh. until towards the end of production when the baby bump grew, it did cause difficulties for wardrobe. So the producers enlisted the help of her younger sister, uh, Monica, um, for wide shots. And then Penelope filmed all the close-ups and the facial stuff and the, the, the dialogue herself. Um, but for any long-distance scenes, her sister doubled for her. Um, yeah, you can tell. <laughs> you can absolutely tell. Yeah, you, you can tell, but equally, you know... I wouldn't want I wouldn't want her to have lost a job because she was pregnant. So yeah, I think you can tell. Mm-hmm. But fair yeah. play, I think yeah, that's a absolutely good decision fun. for you know for her. Hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, absolutely behind that. I just it was interesting because I was watching the movie and I couldn't put my finger on what the problem was because it was you know what it was it was right towards the end when it really stood out. There are a bunch of shots when you know when she's like. Um, on the ground and they're doing the whole sequence with the cups and the water and the switcheroo. And I just kept thinking like, what a weird place to put the camera. Like, it's just like, it's like her head and shoulders, but she's lying on the ground, but she's lying on the ground in this really awkward way that just like, were they trying to communicate? She's like still not well, because she's injured because the poison. But even if you were doing that, would you shoot it exactly? There was something about it. I couldn't put my finger on it. So when I read that trivia, I was like, oh, fine. Okay, I get it now. Because <laughs> I was like, it was driving me crazy. Just specifically in that scene. And I couldn't even put my finger on what the problem was. I was just like, no, I just don't think you'd normally shoot it like this. And I couldn't work out why. 
<laughs> I still can't even tell you what's physically wrong with it. Like, I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not one of those, like, I, you know, I studied filmmaking, but I ultimately did screenwriting, right? My, my, my college course was filmmaking, but I ended up going into screenwriting. So I couldn't technically tell you what was wrong with the shot. But I'm sure someone who's a, who's more experienced in filmmaking will tell me why that shot bothered my eyes so much. But I was just like, there's just something wrong about the framing of this. It's not normal, and I can't... Yeah, I don't know. Um, but yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, uh, another, 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 uh, another pretty slick move from Mr. Depp. He brought... Uh, sorry, brought, he bought waterproof jackets for all 500 crew members on set to protect them from the cold weather. He spent a total of $64,000 from his own pocket to do so. Cool move. Yeah, fair play. Good work. Yeah. It does hey, make you cr- wonder why the, you know, it's just, it's a shame he had to do that as opposed to the production, but fair play <laughs> to him. That's a really good fucking point. Uh, but I, uh, you know, what? actually, no, we, we know exactly why, don't we? Disney said 200 million and not a fucking penny more. <laughs> So uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so I'm guessing that's why that ended up happening, which is a shame. Um, yeah. So in May 2010, Disney announced that the movie will be filmed using 3D cameras. Um, the visual effects, however, were rendered in 2D and converted to 3D to keep the budget lower. Um, yeah. Uh, we yeah, that is what it is. This is a fascinating one, Chris. Um, this movie caused um. A lot of frustrating frustration, controversy, not controversy. Controversy sounds like something was like wrong, wrong. But a lot of problems in Germany. There was petitions and everything. The reason being, the first three movies, um, Johnny Depp had been dubbed by a German voice actor called uh, Marcus Off, and his performance became absolutely iconic and beloved within Germany. Now, due to contractual differences, um, Disney didn't hire Off for on stranger tides instead they turned to a gentleman called david nathan um who had famously um in germany been the dubbed voice of johnny depp in like 20 other johnny depp movies so he was usually the guy you went to when you were dubbing johnny depp into german but for whatever reason they'd gone with this marcus off guy in the 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 pirates films and it was a really good fit for whatever reason the german audiences loved the guy but because of a contractual disagreement, they went back to this uh, the, the David Nathan guy. And when the public realized this, there were petitions signed, thousands and thousands of petitions, you know, petitions, uh, signatures, sorry, on the petition to try and get Disney to rehire off. Um, but it didn't work. Um, Disney stuck with Nathan. Um, and audiences felt a huge element of the iconic Jack Sparrow character was missing from their version of the film. Um, and then just because Disney are <laughs> extra spiteful about this shit, um, they continue to use David Nathan for 2017's Dead Men Tell No Tales. <laughs> Fuck you, Germany. You don't get what you want. <laughs> um, God, so even with all that backlash, I wonder if the movie made less it, money as like a result. <laughs> well, that's what I was wondering. But that's that's a shame, you know, especially if he did all, all three other movies. Yeah, it's a shame for the actor and it's a shame for the German fans who had gotten attached mm. to that voice for that character. And I'm sure it was a great performance. People, If people are passionate enough to be like doing petitions and stuff, then clearly they were very fond of him. Mm. Um, we already for talked sure. about the budget, but we haven't talked about the box office yet, Chris. Um, so even if, we're, like, even if we go to the larger estimate of $400 million for this movie, this is still a massive hit for Disney. Um 
it made just over a billion. Which is way more wow. than the... Pre- well, not way more. It's about a hundred million more than the previous Jeez. movie. This movie made a billion dollars. That is fucking insane, isn't it? Isn't that crazy? Yeah, so it's the it's the second highest grossing pirates film after Dead Man's Chest. Um, wow. Yeah. So, regardless... So I can't wait to hear the box office numbers on the fifth film. Because this film has a reputation now of not being a... Vi- this franchise is considered not viable. So the box office must have been appalling on the next one. Like, I'm, I'm excited to hear. <laughs> do, you want me to, do you want me to save that for next week? Yeah, no, save it for next week. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, the, 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 generally speaking, the, the, so the first one made $650 million, which is very good return on investment because it was only made for about 140 The second one, which was made for 225 made, uh, uh, what's this? It's, it's $1.06 billion. Then World's End, which is made for $300 million, was uh, $961 million. So, you know, just shy of a billion. Still a pretty good return on investment. Um, and then this one made just over a billion. 1.04. Right. Wow. So it makes it the second Crazy. highest grossing of the four we've done so far. That is nice. um, so, yeah, uh, an absolute uh, hit. Regardless of the uh, of the other stuff around it, but I will say, less of a hit with critics. Um, it will not surprise you to hear, Chris. Um, it had a thirty three percent approval rating on Rotten Tomatoes, um, and it is the third worst reviewed movie to gross over a billion worldwide. <laughs> the only two movies that made over a billion that have been reviewed worse are Transformers Age of Extinction from 2014 yeah. and last Fair. year's Jurassic Park or just sorry Jurassic World Dominion which got 28% on Rotten Tomatoes. Wow. Fair play. <laughs> so um, in terms of profits to reviews this is on the, uh, the, the, the not the great end of that spectrum. Made a boatload of money was not enjoyed by critics. Um, and I, you know what I need and not this- myself at the time but hey. Um, I've yeah. come. I've come but to I'd respect it a Disney. lot more now. I think. I, I do think. I, I do think it's better than I remembered, for sure. Uh, Disney. Disney also don't give a shit if it's making one billion, do they? <laughs> yeah, they're not exactly crying into their pillows at night <laughs> over at Disney. <laughs> they're, they're, they're they're rolling around in Scrooge McDuck money pits. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So. Um, with all that said, Chris, it's time for Boats Exist. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what noise to make. <laughs> so, uh, Blackbeard's ship, the Queen Anne's Revenge, is a modified version of the Black Pearl ship from the previous movies. So it's once again portrayed by the ship The Sunset, um, which had been used in the first three movies, again, as, as the Black Pearl. Um, but here, it got redesigned as the Queen's Anne Revenge. The biggest change was above the deck. Uh, the back was cut off to deck level and rebuilt again to two stories to give it more height. Um, and obviously, the, the Queen's Anne Revenge is indeed the ship that the real-life Blackbeard did um, sail around in. Uh, it was a vessel he'd captured from the French Navy and then renamed to Queen Anne's Revenge. Uh, the movie makes reference... Um, to Blackbeard's actual historical death where he was beheaded, but then his head was hung from the bow of his own ship. 
Um, I did not know that's how Blackbeard met his end in real life. Mm. Brutal. No, me neither. Mm. You learn something new every day. Um, so, um, the Providence, which is the ship that Barbosa uses for the first chunk of the movie when he's working with the British, um, is, pot- is portrayed by the... Uh, it's called the Providence, and it was portrayed by the HMS Surprise, which is a fun name for a ship. <laughs> Surprise! Surprise! The HMS Surprise! Um, This is a part of a collection of ships at the Maritime Museum of San Diego, um, and it's still uh, visible. You can go, you can go look at it to this day. It's still there. Um, To sail the ship during filming, Disney hired a crew um, and and brought in a bunch of volunteers and staff from the Maritime Museum to get it safely, you know, out on water and be filming on it. Um, Because it's a 179-foot fully rigged ship, so that was not an easy job. Um, She was built in Nova Scotia in 1970 uh, from plans for a 1757 British 24-gun frigate, the HMS Rose. Um, It was then purchased by 20th Century Fox uh, in 2001 uh, and was then modified to serve as the HMS Surprise. Uh, and before it was under the fictional command of Captain Jack Sparrow, um, it, uh, not Jack Sparrow, uh, under Barbosa, it was under the c- command of Captain Jack Aubrey in a film called Master and Commander, uh, which is a Russell Crowe movie. So there you go. Um, I've never uh, seen that movie. Was that too? I've never seen that movie. I haven't either. I haven't either. Um, do you think it's good? Do you reckon that's a good movie? Mm-hmm. Yeah, probably not. <laughs> um, I don't know. I don't remember. It's, a, it's one of those movies. I think I might even own it on DVD. I've just never watched it. Really? I might. I think so. Maybe, yeah. Wow. Yeah, Russell Crowe, Paul Bettany I'll film. 2003. Wait, its full title is Master and Commander the Far Side of the World. <laughs> That's the yeah. movie's full title? Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. All right. Well, yeah, maybe one day we'll watch it. <laughs> And we'll be like, that's that ship from Pirates. Um, but yeah, uh, that's that's all the truth, Chris. Um, yeah, how, how, how are we feeling? That was a journey, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, it was a journey. But you know what? I, I was always... We uh, we were always more... Well, personally, not, not so much yourself because of the whole founding of the youth stuff but i was always i was always more excited for the next one anyway um you know and and tying it back to that original mythology so i'm uh yeah, yeah. i'm uh i'm going in i'm going in full of i'm i'm positive vibes positive vibes for the next one dan how are, how are you feeling terrified <laughs> but yeah because 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 we because okay so not only so this movie we lost we lost Fabinski and the next movie we lose the writers so I just think like it's it's that old thing isn't it is it the ship Theseus you know that if you how if you how many parts do you change before it's no longer the thing it was originally <laughs> you know and I and yeah. I I am slightly worried that we're we're venturing into um, some of the worst elements of sequels with the next yeah one. that's fair. But, uh, you know, I'm willing to have my mind changed because I was going into this movie expecting to hate it because I didn't care for it the first time. And, you know, I would say I've come out shockingly positive from this one. I, I, I enjoy this way more than I thought I would. Still don't think it's a masterpiece. Still don't think it's a great movie at all um, by any stretch because, I, I, like I said, I have a bunch of problems with the way the film was actually made. Um, but, like, you know... I, I still dug a bunch of what's in this movie. Um, 
you know a bunch of the, the ideas the characters a bunch of the dialogue so yeah I, i'm on board i'm on board to be won over is what i guess i'm saying i'm going in as concerned as i went into this one for um uh, dead man tell no tales or slash salazar's revenge depending on your perspective um or what country you saw it on um i'm you know i'm going in with the with the you know the, 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 with an open enough mind that if it does surprise me, I'll 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 come back on this podcast and, and, and defend where I where I where I need to if it is if it is good. But yeah, this got an absolute kicking uh, if memory serves <laughs> at the time. Yeah. Um, uh, this this movie got absolutely shat on from a great height. So um, and, and and I tell you what, let's let's we can put it down now. Do you want to, do you want to make any predictions about um, box office? Uh, because you know we talked about. You were surprised with how much the last one made. You made a billion. Um, well, I don't think it did. did. Uh, yeah, I, I don't think it did well because because uh, of that reputation the the, the franchise now has. Um, so, so I am do you want to do, 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 um, uh, do you want to put a figure on it or a, a ballpark? You know, I'm not asking you to do down to the penny, obviously. But do you have a do you have a rough guesstimate of where you think it it, it landed? What was its budget? Its budget was two hundred thirty million. Four hundred ish, yeah. My guess going in, yeah. That's a solid guess. That would sort of follow the trajectory of like the 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 uh, uh, the Harry Potter spinoffs. What are they called? Fantastic Beasts. Yeah, I think, yeah. Because I because yeah, I, cause I think logic. I think the Secrets of Dumbledore, the last one, the one with the really poor reputation, that did about four hundred, four hundred and seven million, and the one before that did six hundred and fifty. Um, is that right? Yeah, that would be my guess. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Where if people if people want to know where whether I'm right or wrong, Dan, they can they can check it out next week, can't they? If they're not if they're not already on Patreon. Yes. So, well, you can check it out right now if they're not already on Patreon. So if you're on, if you're on Patreon, you're waiting a week. Oh. I'm sorry to tell you. Sorry to tell you, you've got six seven days. You will find out that this, or you could just Google it. You could you you probably have Googled it. You probably Googled it right now as I'm talking to see. But um, if you want to hear Chris's reaction to discovering the uh, the, the figure coming back next week um or if you're already on if you're if you're not on patreon if you listen to this through itunes or spotify or any other podcast app of choice then guess what you can do right now you can go to patreon for as little as one dollar a month you get access to this very podcast one week ahead of its double release as well as a bonus podcast nothing but lyrics and our um other podcast analyzing avatar and i've got to tell you there's a nothing but lyrics coming up where i have got to admit that i clearly don't remember my original opinion on the song because i have said across the podcasts the opposite thing okay <laughs> so a little tease for listeners that i clearly don't remember what my position on these lyrics were the first time i remember there were two stances to have on the song but i've characterized it the opposite way <laughs> across that podcast so I've got to right, co- I've yeah, got to think... come come to the podcast to discover what my actual feelings on the song are. <laughs> Is that one we're yet to record or one we've recorded? One we're yet to record. So it's okay, the yeah, it's yeah. the Alien Ant Farm song. Uh, I think it's called Tia Lupe or Tia Lupa, something like that. And I think basically in an early early episode, I said, "Oh, we'll have to get back to that." I remember I remember those lyrics being being good or something like that but not you know not but people not thinking thinking are a bit weird because alien ant farm lyrics are a bit weird and then on the most recent episode i characterized it the opposite way around i was like oh people really love these lyrics but i'm not so sure um i, I guess what has happened chris 
if I'm guessing, is that I recalled the two positions but have misremembered which side I landed on because I've not listened to the song in a long time, not read the lyrics in a long time. So we're going to find out. So tune in for that. Um, in fact, if you're listening to this, that'll already be up. That's the next one we're putting up from this recording session. That'll be up well before this goes up. So uh, if you head over to Patreon right now for as little as $1 a month, you can find out how I finally actually felt about Tia because I don't know. <laughs> um, clearly, I'd misremembered, which is fun. Um, happens sometimes. I've, de- I've definitely done that before. You know, where I've sort of like, oh, yeah, I think so. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's, it's, You know, the, the, the song is so old that, like, yeah. I I I recalled the, the 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 line drawn in the sand, but I didn't recall which which side I stood on. Um, which is fun. I'm excited to find out because I've I've deliberately since discovering that I said both things the other way around. Um, I've deliberately not gone back to look at the song, so we're going to find out on the podcast. Nice, that's exciting. Yeah. Um. So yeah, there's that, uh, and obviously you know support us in other ways plenty of other ways you can you can support us just by doing the by doing the thing you're doing now which is listening we appreciate that if you want to be a bit more involved in that but not quite as involved as the patreon your other options are of course to to interact with our content on any of the platforms that we're on leaving a comment on youtube liking it on youtube you know giving it a review on the podcast app you're using telling a friend all that good stuff is all out there for you to do if you'd like to sort of share with this if you enjoy if you've enjoyed our um our take on the Pirates franchise and you know of a person who's uh, who, who who likes those movies or is interested in hearing more about those movies, you can tell them, hey, these guys did podcasts on it. Um, I always find it funny people come in the Discord and tell us that they've been, you know, they've been forcing people to to, to, to listen to our various podcasts. Um, there was a good one just a couple of days ago, actually. I see if I can find it. It was funny. One of our listeners um, sort of bullied a friend <laughs> into listening to our podcast on a certain topic. <laughs> I don't know if I can find it quickly. Uh, let me see. If it, I'll, I'll check one thing, and then if it's not there, I'll, I'll, I'll give up. Um, let's see. Um, no, I can't find it. That's a shame. Uh, but yeah, it's it was... Oh, here we go. Um, oh, no. I thought I'd found it, but no. So yeah, but yeah, it's 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 good. It's a good time. Um, so everyone wants to join in. You can get access to our Discord by going through the Patreon as well. Yeah. So I think that's everything for this week. Of course, uh, I I mean we could do the thing where I say to Chris, Chris, where are we going next week? But I mean, there's only one place to go next week, Chris. So I don't Depend- know. If we... Yeah. Well, de- depending on your territory, Dan, either Dead Man Tell No Tales or Salt Sal's Revenge. Mm-hmm. Where are we going next week? I like the idea that he's called, instead of Salazar, he's called Saltzar. He's like some sort of salt-based oh, monster. Salazar. <laughs> no, I, I, I'm I on board. I, I, I want Saltzar's revenge. He's some sort of like salt-based monster. I'm, I'm excited in equal measure, I would say, to both watch this movie and no longer be watching Pirates of the Caribbean movies. <laughs> right. So. Yeah, I... I, I, I... I'm now regretting the choice to do these, I think. No, I, I, no, I don't no, think. I think not quite that... there yet, actually. These last two. We were always no, going to do the main trilogy, but I am sort of on the cusp now of, like, I'm very nervous about watching this Yeah, I don't, and I, don't, I don't think it's, um, you know, it's not, uh, it's not Harry Potter levels of, um, you know, being, being done with these movies. 
Um, but yeah. I think it's probably I didn't feel that way, you know, about the Santa Claus or, or anything like that. It's probably the most fatigued I've got with a franchise that isn't the Harry Potter movies. <laughs> but I think is that not the the figures? Because in, in terms of the number of movies, the most we've ever done for another series is four. Yeah, yeah. We've yeah. we've never gone well. to five and above for franchises beyond Harry Potter and this. So no, but if Dial equally though, if Dial of Destiny was out when we did Indiana Jones, I'd have been more pumped to watch that than this. It's also slightly these are, I I think these are weaker movies as a whole than than Indiana Jones, for right. example. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, hundred percent. I would agree with that. Um, I think these movies owe an awful it, lot to Indiana Jones too, <laughs> which is fun. Um, yes, as a comparison, well, that too, yeah, yeah. yeah. So sure. yeah, so um, there you go. We'll come back next week and, and and see if we if I can find a way to shoehorn in how much I don't like Rob Marshall. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. I'll figure it out. I'll figure it out. I'll find a way. Oh yeah, you you it'll be there. Yeah it'll yeah. Be there. Even you'll be like you'll be like right like Chris. Uh, go to go to two minutes in the movie, uh, and you see these you see these ten seconds. <laughs> Let me tell you now, Chris. Better than anything Rob Marshall's ever directed, isn't it? <laughs> I I must admit, I'm hoping. I actually, I don't even. Do you know who directed the next one? I don't. I actually have no idea. <laughs> Wait, no, let me quickly no find idea. it. But I, I've got to. There will have to naturally because of the way this conversation has gone. To be fair, there will have to be a comparison to how this one was handled because yes. depending on who they yeah, get directing sure. it, it maybe it will have more of that like you know inventiveness that spark you know that will allow you know for a the movie to feel a bit more creative um oh it's a, a directing team i was gonna say it's a team yeah espen sandberg and oh god i'm so sorry um i have no idea how to pronounce his name uh joachim running um i will google how to pronounce that before we do the next podcast uh because yeah so they've not directed much um Either yeah. of them? Well, they no, but they they seem to be a partnership. There seems to be a film here called uh, Con Con Tiki. Uh, oh yeah, which is uh, was a, a film mainly shot on the island of Malta, and that seems to have been nominated for quite a few awards, um, an Academy Award for Best Foreign Language Film, and it, it, uh, Palm it, Strings it, International Film Fan Festival Directors to Watch, Golden Globe. For Golden Globes and Satellite as well for best foreign language film. It, so yeah, they it looks be, like these directors separated after Salazar's Revenge, and have both done different individual stuff since. Because it looks like, it looks like the the, the guy whose name I will learn how to pronounce next time. Um, he worked on and directed Maleficent, Mistress of Evil, whereas the other guy uh, didn't. Right, okay. Um, so I'm guessing around that same time he made a movie called or the same year he made a movie called Amundsen so uh, it seems like as a directing team they would worked on a lot of the same exact projects and it seems following Salazar's Revenge they've both gone off to do some separate stuff um, I'm not saying because of I'm just saying that's what physically has happened so interesting um, we'll see Look, well, I, uh, come back come back next week to, to hear that yeah to hear me dis- to, 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 to be either disdainful um, because they've done the same thing, or uh, use it as an excuse to shit from a great height on Rob Marshall. <laughs> um, I think yeah, I know where I'm betting my money. <laughs> yeah, place your bets, everyone. We know where the odds are. I'll tell you that. <laughs> uh, 
in that case, all well, we, if, we, if we named if we named these podcasts, would this one just be called Dan shits on Rob Marshall from a great height? <laughs> for two, uh, no, I for think two and a half hours. Dan, Dan, Dan loses his erections. <laughs> <laughs> Open brackets. <laughs> I took a sip Rob of my Marshall drink at the wrong brackets. time. Then. <laughs> no. I, you know, he he does a job. We we we've, we've talked about him enough, right? I'm I'm calling it. My yeah. name's Chris Billigan. My name's Dan Dillon. <laughs> and this review has been rewound.